in five, four, three, two, one. Obi Trice, real name, no gimmicks. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. Guess who's back? Back, back, back again. Mike Rutherford. Rutherford Show on the Big X Sports Radio. All right. All right. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is the Mike Rutherford Show. It is Tuesday, December 6th, and we are coming to you, as always, from the University of Louisville College of Business Studios. Follow them online. At UofL Biz on Twitter. Also visit business.louisville.edu to find out what the UofL College of Business can do for you, including how to get your MBA and feel like you're being paid in the process. We're on from 3 to 6 today, 1450 AM, 961 FM, streaming all over the land. You know it better as the Big X. We want to hear from you between now and then, as many of you have already done today on the Thornton Sex Line at 502-414-1450. And a reminder, download that refreshing rewards app. If you become a Refreshing Rewards member this month, they're still hooking you up with a free drink and a free breakfast sandwich. We're talking any type of drink, fountain, tea, coffee, not alcoholic, but whatever they got, they're going to hook you up with that's not alcoholic. Uh, we got a special three to six show today. Trevor Kelsey's not going to be here. And because of that, you know who's in studio. This is what we do. He, he loves this man, so we only bring him on when Trevor's out. Sean Moth in the building, uh, just joining us. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a great time. We've we plenty to talk about uh, today here, Sean. But uh, th- thanks so much for coming in on short notice. How are you, my friend? You look glorious. I'm, well, you know, fat and happy. What are you going to do? <laughs> How are you? Doing okay. Uh, I, I love the fact anybody who listened yesterday could tell Trevor was a little bit under the weather. He's blaming me. He's claiming it's COVID. Who, he'll never test, so we'll never actually know. But he can blame we're, – we're blaming all of this on my wife's company because she has to go on this terrible trip to Orlando. Of course, she comes back, and she's, she's got COVID. Kids get COVID. My parents get COVID. I think that I avoid COVID. Then I get COVID last week. Now TK's got COVID. He's giving his mom COVID. We think. We don't know. But he's still he, – he's so – he's not going to miss yesterday's show. No. There's not, he, he's been sleeping nonstop for the three days before this. He's clearly not feeling well. And not only does he come to dance on the grave of Scott Satterfield and celebrate, hopefully, Jeff Brom coming here, he does an actual dance in the middle of the show, gets up, which he usually doesn't have the energy to do on, on his best day. When he's 99% TK, he doesn't have the energy to stand up and do anything physical. And yet yesterday, from his deathbed, he's so excited that he comes in, tr- a true warrior in every sense of the word, but now that effort, that added energy is probably going to keep him out for like the rest of the week now. Didn't really support the pole vaulting argument very well. Yeah, he's, I mean, he, neither the fact that he tried to jump one time in here and made it potentially six centimeters off the ground. Uh, but we got Sean in here. We're going to have a good time. We'll spend these three hours doing, I mean, what do you think we're going to do? We're going to talk with this coaching search. We're going to give some updates on what's going on with the current L staff. I will share a little bit of what I've heard over the last 21 hours since we've been on the air. It's not much. I'm going to go ahead and preface you with that. It's all quiet for a reason. Anybody who's saying... You know, there's been movement. This is this is happening. 
I think is is feeding you some nonsense. There there are some things happening behind the scenes, but a lot of it we don't know, and the, the, what we do know is kind of you know it, it's it's minuscule. So we'll we'll get to that a little bit uh, later on. I, I want to for I, I do love the the text line five zero two four one four forty five. Already very excited about Sean Moth being in studio. Uh, they're letting us know that, but they've uh, <laughs> wow. That doesn't seem normal. They're very, very pumped. Uh, they're also, you know, wishing TK well, but also kind of making fun of TK. Uh, that's, that's what we do. Let's start with this. In the last 21 hours or so, we thought that things were going to, to move quick. Well, I, I, I tell you what, before diving into it, Sean, you're a man of the people. We haven't heard your thoughts on this. <laughs> How shocked were you to wake up yesterday and get the news that we all got that I think I, I don't think anybody saw it coming. Scott Center for Cincinnati is a haymaker out of left field. It is a sucker punch. It is an uppercut that you never see coming. Not necessarily that it floored you because it was a terrible, terrible piece of news, but just because it surprised you. Like, How, how did you take the news yesterday morning? I mean, it was definitely a 10 on the shock scale of 1 to 10. I guess part of the reason I got out of talk radio 30 years ago is because I, I felt badly going on the radio and, and, and inadvertently throwing people under the bus. But it, it's somewhat unavoidable. Here's where I'm at. I'm still getting over the shock that Cincinnati thought it was a great hire. Yeah. And I, I you know, I right there I'm throwing Cincinnati under the bus. I'm throwing Sad under the bus. But it just, I, I don't see how you look at this program and feel like at any point it was a very good fit. And at the same time, understand that there's a fundamental difference between Louisville and Cincinnati that's so remarkable that it's going to be more like Boone, North Carolina. I mean, Boone, North Carolina, the population of Boone fits in the football stadium here. I mean, it was a, it was a shock when, when Scott came here, you know, he, he couldn't believe we had three practice fields. And then he's like, does that include the indoor one? Like, no, that would, when we got four and he's like, well, is it a full field? And they're like, yeah. What, why wouldn't, you know, he couldn't believe how many people were at the press conference. Yeah, I, I'll never forget so, that. So it never felt like a good fit. Never, and part of this is probably kind of boring radio. I love coming on here, but we have so, we're so like-minded that a lot of it's agreeing. Yeah. But it was just, he never felt like he wanted to be here. And and to bring him into Cincinnati, it, it just, it feels like a, I just need to get out of Louisville and take any job I can get. And I... Cincinnati's track record of hiring really good head coaches just maybe we'll all be proven wrong but what 25 and 24 and and mm-hmm. I I've defended Scott as much as anybody because I think the first year ACC coach of the year a share of the title unprecedented for what he was coming off of and then I gave him a free pass on COVID and I think you really almost have to give some coaches free passes for a couple years on COVID but in the same light like the infographic that Cincinnati put out about NFL players. He didn't recruit any of the three of them. Like, uh, who will be the first sat recruit at Louisville that gets to the NFL? And I don't know the answer to that. It's not changing this year. It doesn't sound like I mean, that, like Caleb Chandler was not a sat recruit. He may get drafted this year. But there's not going to be a player that he recruited himself. That's the point. Because Yasir? Yeah, it was past half. Yeah. And so... And again, I, I I don't like disparaging it, but just from a from a shock standpoint, I was more shocked at that. And I I listened to the show yesterday a little bit because I wanted to hear your insight and and obviously TK's reaction to the whole thing. And it was it was similar. I don't I don't know that this is a bad thing because I don't know that he earned an extension, and I don't know that he deserved to be fired. 
first of all, the graphic yesterday, if you haven't seen it, oh. it's a lot of people do this now. The big font, little font trick, where the most famous was the Penn State a few years ago, where it was like only pro- program with player taken in every single NFL draft. And it was like, besides three years since 1965 or something like that. Yeah. It was just it's like they did that yesterday where it was 11 conference championships, three FCS national championships. And then in small print right below it, it was like as a player assistant or head coach at Appalachian State, like very, very quietly, which was a hysterical thing to do. A lot of people do it, but they very, and even some of the stuff that was in big letters was, was like, was nothing. It was like three, seven win seasons. I was like, you know, I mean, really, is, is this what we're highlighting here? Yeah. But the, the, the change from Louisville Cincinnati, it did certainly feel from Satterfield's end, kind of like an any port in the storm type situation. But Cincinnati, I'm like you, that was my Biggest question was, you guys have hired the elite of the elite, moving like guys who are future stars every single time. And is this really who you've identified? And as far as Satterfield's concerned, I don't think it's any secret that he didn't really mesh with the local community. I also don't think it's any sort of secret that he did not handle the media and fan criticism particularly well. Maybe spent a little bit too much time online or listening to, to, to know nothings like myself <laughs> yeah exactly talk about what he's doing and what he's not doing and if that's an issue for you if that really was one of the reasons why you're leaving i've been to games in cincinnati i know several cincinnati fans if if you're looking for a kinder gentler fan base to preach to and a kinder gentler local media to preach to maybe you'll get lucky that they're paying more attention to the Bengals or the the reds or what have you but cincinnati fans are pretty ruthless like like th- that is not a compassionate soft like like will ease into this type fan base, especially right now when they've gotten a taste of winning at the highest possible level. If you go and, and this transition to the Big 12 does not go swimmingly and you go like 7-5 and five next year or 6-6 six and six, and you're thinking, hey, I had a pretty good season against a really tough schedule, the fan base is not going to view things the same way. No. They will view things the same way as Louisville fans did, maybe times two. So it didn't make sense to me on a number of levels. I think, Again, like you said, you always have to preface these comments with maybe he goes up there and just just, just kills it. Yeah. And we feel bad about ourselves. And, he, and he's good people. And like, he's, I never had a problem sure. with Scott. And his staff, they were great people. But you but you bring up the best point. It's it's not like you're coming into a program that Bobby Petrino burned to the ground. Yeah. You, you, they were in the playoff. It certainly feels <laughs> like both sides of that equation may be in for a rude awakening and, and in I, the very near future. And I get if there's a transitional aspect to it because of his transitioning Appalachian State to the FBS level with them moving into the Big 12, but no offense, he doesn't know anything about the Big 12. Yeah. I mean, if this were a situation where he were going from Cincinnati to Wake Forest, it probably makes a little more sense because that's a, a an area that he's really familiar with. But now we're talking not only the Big 12, but – as somebody who has a friend at K-State who had an incredible year, Kansas is now, uh, they've kind of arrived. Uh, Baylor, Texas Tech, obviously TCU. I know Texas and Oklahoma are only there for a while, but I thought the Big 12 was one of the deeper conferences in the country. It's it's not going to be an easy league. And I know that Cincinnati has had the success they've had these last couple of years, but it, it was surprising to me. And it, it's surprising to me too because I feel like there's some coordinators in the Big 12 out there that might have been willing to make that step. It just makes me wonder how quickly they moved and how how broad their their scope was in trying to find a new head coach. Yeah. It's the whole situation is strange. I had heard as of last night the, the story that I got from somebody who 
knows people who knows people with, within Cincinnati, you know, one of those type deals. They were set to hire the Tulane coach on whose name escapes me right now. They were set to hire the Tulane coach on Saturday morning. Like the, stuff was, was done. I know Tulane was about to win the AAC title or already had won the AAC title, but they felt like that deal was in place. And then things changed. I guess some details got, there was a weird thing. Satterfield was already going to interview for the job and apparently went very well. And then things moved, like, like everybody has said, very, very quickly. He, Jimmy Sexton's plea to Josh Hurd gets kind of turned down. It's very much a like, you know, he's like, well, we're going to go Cincinnati. And Josh Hurd's like, cool, have fun. And that's uh, that, that's what winds up happening. It moved. It all happened very, very quickly. Um, and, and now here we are Monday morning, all being sort of blindsided by this. And that's a, it was a, a, a very it, still it's always going to be a strange deal. We know we never lose coaches normally. Oh, it, no. And you've been through a lot of that. Oh, yeah. The Charlie Strong departure was abnormal. The Bobby Petrino departure was certainly abnormal. Uh, John L. Smith back in the day, the, probably oh. the most famous one happening in the middle of a bowl game. I'll, I mean, the Charlie thing seems like it was maybe the most natural, I, I guess, occurring, but it was still weird. I mean, I, I'll tell a story. I, I love that enough distance has, has passed so you can start telling some of these stories. I was with Brian Jurich when he found out that Charlie mm. was taking the Texas job. Because, Brian, I mean, I knew Brian, before I'd ever talked to Tom in my entire life. I had not mentioned, I don't think he even knew who I was. I was friends with Brian. Yeah. Um, Beast. Who's, he's the man. He's, oh, he's still the best. I still love favorite. Brian. But he, like, we were out celebrating Mary's birthday, actually. And he kind of gets the call that, like, this is happening. And so, the, remember, the story was Charlie did not want it to be official until he talked to Tom. He wanted to have a conversation with Tom and you know, be a man and tell him face to face and do things the right way. But Tom was in Colorado, which was true. And Tom could not, was snowed in. It couldn't get out until the morning, yeah. which was not true. As I found out that night, <laughs> Brian was like, yeah, I mean, Tom knows what the conversation is going to be. He's like, so dad is just going to lie and make him think about it for the entire night and like sit there and think with this loss. So yeah, he's like, his plane's fine. He can come back whenever he wants to, but he's going to, he's going to spend the next 12 hours, give him some extra time to delay the announcement and make him just kind of sit there and stew until we have this conversation, which I was like, you know what? Good for you. Well done. It's just, that's a great story. It, it's astonishing too that somebody who came to a program with no head coaching experience and had an amazing level of success is now back to being a coordinator. I, it, like not su- not succeeding at Texas didn't shock me. Yeah, I I would have been probably less surprised if he'd have won there, but then to go on and go to a place like USF and just have it not work out it's it's a little puzzling to me. But yeah, the, the coaching transitions have all been strange. I, I mean, I even remember <laughs> Lelo Prado, the last uh, regular season series was at USF and he got kicked out of the last game and got in a golf cart and toured their facilities <laughs> it's, and it's basically super, interviewed for the job. <laughs> so even it, it even extends to baseball. I, it's, I, I think what's curious to me is that, and I've known Josh Hurt for a long time and I, I've, I've fully supported him and I think he... He's the right person for the for the job. He's had to make two hires, the two biggest hires in terms of an athletic department in his first year, and that's without even being the full-time guy. He was just named interim, I believe, almost a year ago now. Yeah. And both jobs were such that the court of public opinion basically told him who was going to be the next head coach. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we should feel good for him or feel badly for him or – not care either way, but I think what's curious is if if it isn't Jeff Brom, 
then his hand will be forced to make an absolute slam dunk of a hire or a touchdown, I guess, would be the better metaphor. And I I wonder if there's any trepidation from fans (laughs) bringing a former player in in this situation, even though I think Jeff has proven himself. I mean, I, I dug into Purdue a little bit. Their best season was 10 wins in 1979. It's their only 10 win season in the history of the program. They've won back-to-back nine or more games, I believe, four times since 1960. I mean, it's they have no Heisman Trophy winners. They never went to a BCS Bowl game. And so I, with your discussion yesterday of which is the better program of the two, it's intriguing to me. And for people to say, well, he, he only won eight or nine games at Purdue, that's actually a really good role it, it, in West Lafayette. It blows my mind I mean, because I, I, I've gotten – the tweet more times than I can count now. We had it on the text line several times yesterday. People talking about you know his record is he's got a fifty one percent winning percentage. You're just you're hiring Satterfield. What's different? Everything's different. He what he walked into a program. First of all, the Big Ten we can all admit is a tougher conference. I know the West Division sucks, but it is a tougher conference top to bottom than the ACC is. He's playing a tougher schedule every single year than Louisville is for the most part. They also they were three and thirty in their last 33 Big Ten games before he arrived. 3-30. and 30. I know we had a down season where Bobby Petrino basically quit halfway through in 2018, but Satterfield proved, to his credit, very quickly that there was way more talent on that roster than it, it appeared in 20. I think we all kind of thought there was, but he showed it. Jeff Brown walked into a situation where there was no talent. Like, none. And it's still very hard to recruit there. He did very well early on recruiting. I think now you're seeing... The ability to sustain that type of recruiting is very, very difficult. And if you watch a Purdue game, almost every time out, it's obvious how much of a talent disparity there is between them and the Ohio States, sure. the Michigans, even like the Nebraska's of the world. Like there's just more speed on the other side, and he has to, you know, he has to work with what he's been given. It, it, he has done. I mean, ask any Purdue fan. Like, like yeah. he, he has done a remarkable job making that program relevant in that conference and getting to a point where they. You know, you can almost pencil them in for like seven, eight wins because that's never been in their history uh, the situation where Be- it's just you expect them to be eight and four. Yeah, before last season, they hadn't been ranked since two thousand seven. Hadn't been ranked. Just they don't do anything. They're, they're a nothing program. And it's one of those situations too, where when you enter the ACC like Louisville did, your football program's automatically behind Clemson, behind Florida State, behind Miami, maybe. Jeff Greer would be happy, maybe behind Pitt in terms of derision. I don't know, but but you're at least behind those three. When you're in the Big Ten, you're behind Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, maybe Michigan State, maybe Nebraska before you even get out of the gate. You know, you you have to battle that before you even play a game, and so it's it's going to be interesting. The, the the silence I think is making people nervous. I don't know well enough what the red tape is to hire a state employee, but technically because of the situation at the University of Louisville, it is a state employee job, and we're sitting on 29 hours or whatever it's been Mm -hmm. since the announcement was made. I mean, I don't know how quickly they can move under the circumstances. And and again, I'm getting the impression Josh had an idea of this before it was announced. I don't know how many hours he had, but... uh, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, there will have to be, whenever the coaches decide upon and terms are agreed upon, there will have to be a proposal written and given to the new president now, uh, yeah. which is another thing. You, oh, get, yeah. you have a president who's oh, been yeah. here for all of you know, 20 seconds. And um, like that will be 
a little bit of a process. Maybe it's already started. There's rumors out there. Who knows? Um, and, and we can we, we can dive into that now, like just based on. I know that's what people want to hear. Like the last 21 hours, what's going on? Have you talked to anybody? I've talked to people. There's not a whole lot going on, yeah. at least that, that anybody's willing to tell me right now. You have two fronts right now because you've got the Jeff Brom thing, and then now suddenly you've got this Brian Brom to UK as the offensive coordinator story, which is out there. I will say this. If Brian is going to take the offensive coordinator job at Kentucky, he sure as hell has hit it pretty well the last 24 hours. <laughs> so um, I'm not saying he hasn't been contacted by UK, but um, I, I would be surprised. I do know that Purdue, certain Purdue coaches, were recruiting today. They may not be sure of who they're recruiting for, mm-hmm. but they know that they're recruiting at this moment. They're out doing that. We'll see what happens um, w- with Jeff. I do think, I mean, I said yesterday, at the end of the day, I think it's going to be Jeff Brom. I think he'll take the job. I think U of L will target him, and I think they'll be able to come to terms relatively easily. I nothing has changed for me on that front in the last twenty four hours. Nothing has changed that would make me more solid on that front in the last twenty four hours. Sure, it's been a whole lot of just just nothing. And I know people don't want to hear that. I know every. I mean, I got people call, like, "What's going on? What's going on? What's going on?" I'm like, I'll know when something happens. Like when something definitive happens, these people will reach out. I can't pester them 24 hours a day like, hey, man, anything, anything, anything? I, I find it really interesting that the two people in Louisville media that I know best literally were teammates of two of the people involved <laughs> in this discussion. So it's, it's, it's very curious to me. I, I think what, what's also intriguing, you know, everybody's talking about, oh, you know, this, this class and the portal and we, we have to move fast, we have to move fast. Um, you mentioned Tom Jurich and, of course, Josh worked with Tom and, and – I'll never forget Tom came over to the scorer's table at Colorado State in Moby Arena at basketball. And I was doing, like, I was the third man on the crew doing stats and helping out with Wyatt Thompson and Steve Anderson. And it's two, three hours before tip-off, Tom comes over to us and he goes, who's my, uh, who's my next football coach going to be? And the three of us just all color leaves our face because Sonny Lubick had put Fort, you know, Colorado State back on the map. And we're like, what's going on? He's like... No, who, who, who's on the list? We're like, is, is Sonny leaving? He's like, no, but, you know, Arizona State's come after him. I think Purdue at the time actually was one. Of, there were other schools. Miami came after him. And, and we're like, why are you asking us this? He's like, you always have to have a list. The top drawer of my desk. Top drawer of my desk has five names that I'm going to call, even if I have a coach that just won a national title. And so I, I guarantee you that of all the things Josh took from, from Tom, that is definitely one of them, and that there was a list. And what's – unusual to me is that I'm not hearing names two, three, or four. You know, everybody wanted to speculate about Dave Ragone. I think John Gannon's name had been thrown out there. I had a chance to, to get to know Sharon Moore a little bit, co-defensive coordinator at Michigan, and I think he's going to be a star in the coaching industry down the road. But I'm just not hearing a lot of names. It's almost like everybody's waiting to hear if Jeff says yes or no and then decide, okay, well, let's who, who, who's being targeted? And obviously writers have written articles in that and I haven't really delved into them because I'm not as I guess concerned about it at this point but but if it's not Jeff that's what intrigues me then yeah. where do you go we can get into that because I, I, I think there's some names out there and I think that Josh you know has a list I, I think that there are some guys that yeah. he's we'll, we'll kick the tires on same with basketball I mean oh yeah basketball was a little bit different one you had more time I think to get that right because the position had been open since January and you know no active coach was going to leave their team, especially the ones that you're targeting at a program like Louisville in mid-February or before the NCAA tournament. So, you know, you, you had time to, to figure out who might be interested, who might not be interested. 
the situation is more, I don't know if dire is the right word, but you have to act quickly right now with the transfer port because of the timing. Transfer portal opened yep. yesterday. You've got recruiting signing day coming up very, very soon. You want to keep this cl- this class intact. It is notable to say not one member of the now 14-player class of 2023 has decommitted from Louisville. You had two people openly saying to you know, a Cardinal Authority yesterday, we didn't commit to Scott Satterfield, which I think most people knew. Yeah, it, It's odd that you have a relatively high-profile coaching change like, like this one, where a guy's going from a power conference program to what will now be another power conference program in Cincinnati. And there's no sense of like, he's going to bring this recruit with him. He's going to bring that recruit with him. Maybe that winds up happening, but it hasn't really been speculated about because I think most people knew that these guys, their best relationships were to other coaches. And they also were coming here for predominantly, or at least largely NIL reasons mm-hmm. uh, that, that would not have led them to Louisville in past years. So like that's been an interesting element to, to all of that. Real quickly, before we take our first break, update on... The staff, because that's the, the the other thing that we have going on right now is who the hell's going to be on the sidelines with Deion Branch in this bowl game? Kenny Klein will be calling plays. I mean, you may have to suit up. We, we may need <laughs> the old uh, Cards PA out there on the sidelines with Deion Branch because hmm. we're not sure. And this was why I think Deion wound up getting the interim tag is because you, typically you give it to a coordinator, you give it to a, a coach. You don't know if any of these guys are going to be around. That was a great move. Yeah, it, it, really, it was. At first I was like, what? wait, what? And then I heard the explanation. It's a great move. He's the only guy that you know is sticking around, besides you know, maybe Pete Nocta, who's got the Louisville ties directly. But we now know via multiple reports, and, and this is a, a shock to nobody, defensive coordinator Brian Brown going with Satterfield to Cincinnati. He will not coach with U of L in the bowl game. Also, we found out today, and this is maybe even a, a bigger blow, Pete Thomas, the quarterback coach, who was instrumental in, especially on the West Coast, getting a, this recruiting class together. He was a you know, big one with, with the Cali kids out there at St. John Bosco. He's also going to Cincinnati. He's not going to coach in the bowl game. Strength coach Ben Souders, I think I, I may have said this on yesterday's show, who came to UofL from Georgia, fresh off their national title last season. He's going to Arkansas. He was already gone before Sad even made he, the decision, I he think. Was, yeah, he was, he's been with Arkansas quietly <laughs> for like a week. Um, Wes McGriff, the crime dog who has been coaching the secondary this past season. He's going to Auburn to coach under Hugh Freeze there. And then we don't know about Lance Taylor's future, but we do know uh, the co-offensive coordinator. He is a front runner for the head coaching position that has been left open at Western Michigan. So if he doesn't get that job, I mean, probably safe to assume he's going to be looking for a different gig. I don't know if you can retain him if you're if you're Jeff Brom I don't or whoever winds up getting the job I don't know if you would would want to like that would be kind of a similar situation to what Lance Taylor was in last year where you've got a head coach who basically is doubling as the offensive coordinator but if Jeff's going to bring Brian here as well which again is you know Brian's being rumored as as an offensive coordinator at a different spot and I I should clarify I don't think it's a given that Brian would just come here with Jeff like it would not shock me if Brian wound up leaving for another job for a few years and, and being away from his brother. They have, I mean, Brian and Jeff love each other. There's an interesting dynamic there though, where they're brothers, they're brothers, <laughs> but they're also like 20 years apart. Like Jeff is way, yeah. way older than, yeah. than we are. Yeah. Just my age. He's yeah. He, I mean, they, he, they were born very far. Apart. Like, I think that they, you know, they enjoy coaching with one another, but they don't like, they don't hang out all that much. Like there's a very big difference there. And I do think as brothers tend to do, they butt heads a lot. Um, so, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I think it's more likely than not that if Jeff took the job, Brian would come with him. But I think that there is absolutely a world where where Brian would entertain another offensive coordinator job to try and 
you know, bolster himself up and, and add to his resume because he wants to be a head coach at some point. I think he will be a head coach at some point. But that's what we know about the staff right now. It'll be interesting to see who does stick around and who will be on the sidelines for that Fenway Bowl, who takes other jobs, who else goes with Satterfield Cincinnati because I think there will be more names that will follow him there. But so far, no real gigantic surprises, I don't think. Well, and to me, obviously, there are circumstances where coaches will accept another position but coach through the bowl game, especially in light of the fact that we're talking about less than two weeks. I don't know if Lance Taylor got that job just out of honor for a program that he sees could probably use it, would stick around. I don't know, but it it is it's going to be interesting to see because – one of the worst jobs in the world is an assistant coach because you have literally no control over whether or not you've got a job if the head coach leaves. And so you certainly can't blame anybody for moving on. I, I thought it would be funny if, if Brian Brown went to Cincinnati but said he was going to stay for the bowl game just to, you know as a show of honor to the kids. But mm. I, I don't think he gets that next job no. if he does that. No. But I will be curious to see whether or not anybody else does. And, and in, in the case of, of Lance Taylor – getting a head coaching job, I don't think he would have any choice but to, to, to move on. But it begs the question. There's a lot of there's a lot of preparation that goes into the bowl game. There's a lot of grad assistance. There's a lot of passing game coordinators, you know, there's a lot of behind the scenes coaches, young coaches that are trying to get their break. Uh and those people are going to play a more prominent role because you're not going to hire anybody between now and then. I, I think the hope is that you have enough people. I'm getting the impression that the current team would love nothing better than to put a whooping on Cincinnati. Yeah. Which is, you know, obviously you feel that way no matter what, but now there's just a little, a little extra sauce on it. A little added juice, yeah. especially when you saw the reactions from a lot of the players on social media yesterday. How curious was that? Very curious and also I think added to the the notion that these guys, that you know, the ones that are going to play are going to be very fired up on December 17th. So uh, an already interesting game just got way, way more interesting. Uh, we'll take a break now. Our first break, we'll come back. When we do so, Satterfield had an interesting interview with The Athletic today that we'll talk about, and also uh, some candidates that aren't Jeff Brom. It's Mike Rutherford Show. continues next here on 1450 The Big X. Alright, welcome back in. Tuesday edition of the Rutherford Show here on 1450 and 961, the big X. We mentioned this uh, before the teaser there. Scott Satterfield did sit down, not Tyler Greer, they're not taking questions from non-Cincinnati media Ugh. folks, uh, but Scott Satterfield did sit down with Justin Williams with The Athletic, who broke the news that Satterfield was taking the job, and said some interesting things. A lot of it was just kind of standard standard coach speak. He talked about admiring Cincinnati from afar. He talked about being in contention for that job back in 2016 when it ultimately went to Luke Fickle. But there were a couple of, I thought, interesting notes as far as we're concerned. Maybe the most interesting is right at the very end, where they talked about the keg of nails. You know, is, it, is it coming? We, we had the confirmation yesterday. It is making the trip up to Boston. They're shipping it up to Boston for the uh, the Fenway Bowl. 
And he said, you know, when he, when he got asked, are they bringing the keg of nails? He goes, I think so. I think so. We had to find it. We looked all over our building at Louisville. We couldn't find it and come to find out one of our equipment managers had it at his house. He had to bring it back. I think they're bringing it. We didn't get into those conversations. And it reminded me of when this first came up about Louisville potentially playing Cincinnati in football game. This is like over the summer when they're talking about scheduling the games. Somebody tweeted at me like, here it is or something. Like a picture. And like, I can't remember who it was. I'll have to go back and find the picture. It had to have been the same guy who just had the, the, the keg of nails at his house. But what a good talking piece if you're a conversation piece. You know what's funny about that is, you know, I worked there full time for 21 years. And there was, a, there was a kitchen area where people, you know, you had the microwave in the fridge. And there was a table. And same group of ladies usually had lunch in there. But... On the, the, the kitchen cabinetry across the top were like Metro Conference Championship trophies from all kinds of teams, like 10, 15, <laughs> 20 trophies to a point where once we were at the Kieber Center and it just hidden in a closet was Russ Smith's. I don't remember if it was the Pomeroy or the Naismith. What, it wasn't the Naismith, but it was, I think it was like the under six foot player of the year national <laughs> award. And it's so odd to me that there's not somebody that's a little more concerned about the curation. But I, I was under the impression that in the, the remodel, so to speak, that uh, it, it kind of was lost. I guess that, that other Heisman Trophy they're a little more worried about than the keg and nails. But here is my question. I heard you bring it up yesterday. Th- this is not a keg and nails game. It shouldn't be. Like because the, the battle for the barrel with baseball. Right. Only says regular season. Yeah, it's regular season. I think that's how most of these traveling trophies work. Like yeah. it, they're only for regular season games. If you happen to meet in the the NCAA tournament, in whatever sport, or you happen to meet in a bowl game, the trophy's not up for grabs. I guess if you if it is going to be up for grabs, like it has to be something that the two schools would work out between one another. I don't know how any of that works, but the fact that they're bringing it up for the game, I mean, you're going to tell me that like if Cincinnati wins, they're not going to run oh. over and grab it, oh, like like, like totally. and then they're going to have to like give it back. Like I don't know how that works, but it just seems like a Bowl games are already kind of, let's be real, Awful. kind of meaningless, <laughs> kind of just, you know, you've got guys playing big time roles in bowl games, especially these days, who haven't played all year. We saw that last, I mean, we had, part of the reason why we were giving up 7,000 passing yards to a team that threw the ball five games combined uh, in their two, in their last three games of the regular season was because we were playing guys that hadn't played the entire season in the secondary. Like we had guys leave, we had guys hurt, and we're just like throwing, it. the first action all year is in what it theoretically should be your most important game of the, yep. the entire season, but it's just not that way anymore. So you're talking about a huge rivalry trophy that hasn't been up for grabs in almost a decade coming down to like third and four stringers and, and two teams that neither of which have a active head coach on the sidelines. Uh, it's just, it, it, it's a bizarre deal. And also, I mean, like, are we sure Satterfield's not going to just tell Cincinnati our entire offense? Oh, are we? I mean, not you to assume he's going to. And our defensive coordinator and our quarterbacks coach. Everybody's going to be up there. Yeah. It, yeah, it's. I think bowl games serve three purposes now. The first purpose is you get the extra practice, probably the most important thing. The second thing it does is the players get a payoff. They get a vacation. They get the the swag packages are ridiculous and deservedly so. And I don't know if name image likeness has changed that at all, but you know these kids will walk away with the Xbox or the PS5 or whatever and and you know shopping cards sprees or whatever and then you know somehow these bowls find a way to make it profitable but i just wonder at what point like what point are they going to be like on december 17th in boston how many people are going to be at fenway park i i i'm intrigued because i'm a baseball fan but i've been to fenway i haven't been there for a game but i've had a tour i've been inside the scoreboard and i've been on the wall and you know it's intriguing but i just i don't know how viable they're going to be and it's so curious to me that 
FCS continues to execute just a brilliant playoff that is under the radar. And then we continue to talk about, oh, this this James Madison team, you should really watch this this Montana team, this North Dakota State team, but nobody pays any attention yeah. to the playoff itself. It just doesn't seem like it would be too hard to execute something like that. I know that they're moving to 12, but yeah, bowl games are... I grew up watching Air Force do that to other people, so it didn't shock me. <laughs> like, that's just what Air Force does. They, you know, they hand the ball off the first twenty-seven plays of the game, lull you to sleep, and then the safety bites and they throw a pass. And you know, their quarterback traditionally would go three for five for one hundred and thirty-four yards and three touchdowns. I mean, that's just what they did. But yeah, it's, and I think the personnel is going to be interesting. You know, I, I, I can't imagine that Louisville's not going to be close to full strength in terms of players that you know aren't injured. I don't know that we really have the type of player that's going to opt out so they can get ready for the draft. A tie yeah. Evans would probably be an exception. But who knows? It's it's shocking, too, how soon it is. It, it yeah, feels sooner days. than normal. It, well, it is. It, it's, it's the second day of bowl season. Yeah. It's the... You know, it's the earliest that any ACC team oh. could theoretically play their postseason game. I mean, we've never played a game. I mean, even dating back to like when we played John L. days, we were playing in the the Motor City Bowl, or the GMAC Bowl. Like those were at most two or three days before Christmas. Yeah, it's it's a very odd thing, and it also is, it's terrible timing because the portal just coming open, signing day coming, like. Teams that have their bowl games after Christmas or, you know, for, they, they can do more things, right? They can focus less on preparation and, and practice and all that stuff. They can do more recruiting. They can do more portal stuff. And we, I mean, we don't have a coach right now. So we, we're kind of, <laughs> but when he, whenever he is hired, they're going to have to do at least a little bit of, uh, of preparation for the game. I do wonder. So this got thrown out there too. It was more common like 15, 20 years ago. It, you still see it happen every now and then. But Jeff is the type of guy, and there are people around me who are like, I think he's going to want to coach in the bowl game if he gets hired very quickly. Mm. And I'm like, I don't think that that's like, that may not be the best idea. Like that's just, I, I don't know if it's going to work out. Plus, you put yourself in a position for undue criticism if you lose the game, which is very understandable given the fact that you're inheriting a brand new team and you're playing a damn good team in Cincinnati yeah. in a game where you would be an underdog under normal circumstances. We we, we open as a point and a half underdog. Um, they're clearly very good. You know, we're going to be, who knows what Malik Cunningham's status is. Who knows? You, know, you just don't know. We, we're, we're dealing with a lot of question marks right now. But Satterfield did get asked in this interview by Justin Williams, you know, there was some thought that maybe you could, like, stand in the middle and coach both teams or stand on top of the Green Monster. And he said, no, I'm not doing that. The dynamic, it's crazy. It's very different. But I can't help with that situation. It's just a coincidence that we happen to be playing each other. When it first happened, when I saw the game, it was exciting. It's a game that we used to play and had a trophy for it. And I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. And then, of course, when the opportunity for the job came up, this was kind of awkward, which is what Satterfield does. It, 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 that's why I'm stepping away from anything that has to do with bowl prep. I'm not doing any of that. I will not be at the game. I'm going to build my staff out. I'm going to be recruiting during the game. I'm going to be hosting families and recruits on a Saturday. Now we may be sitting in front of a TV and watching it, but we're going to be recruiting and trying to find players to be a part of this program. So that was Satterfield, which is understandable. Like It would have been an ultimate heel move. It was... Some of the, the way that he left was already kind of villainous. Yeah. But this would have been the ultimate, like just coming out, all black, Bearcat pullover, the visor with the Cincinnati logo on it, just, you know, throwing L's down the sidelines. <laughs> like that would have been the ultimate just F you to everybody. Ultimately, at some point, though, isn't this somehow an indictment on his confidence in being able to put a team together next year at the University of Louisville that could win nine or ten games with this incredible recruiting class? 
Are, are you not betting on yourself by taking the Cincinnati job? You know, we, we want an extension. You haven't earned it. Fire me. We're not going to fire you. You deserve to be here, finish up your contract, but we're not ready to extend you. Okay, well, I don't think we're going to be good enough next year under me, so I'm going somewhere else. I mean, that, that it's, it's kind of the ultimate not, not voting for yourself. Like, not, not I don't know. It, it, it seems odd to me, but, but it makes perfect sense. And at the same time, it, it just seems odd. Because the, the personality of a coach is always wanting that next great challenge. Like, th- there's yeah. not a coach that takes a job that doesn't want the next best job. You know, and there, there's not a single coach that doesn't want to someday be the head coach at Texas. You know, that's a perfect example with Charlie or Ohio State or USC or, you know, one of these premier programs. And so it just seems like an odd indictment on his selling himself that – well, I can prove to you that I deserve the extension. We got this recruiting class coming in. I love my coaching staff. We're gonna we're gonna win eight or nine games next year. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it clearly underlies the fact that he hated it here. I, I think so. <laughs> I, I think also, it always struck me as odd. And nobody knew who his agent was, nor did we have any reason to until the South Carolina <laughs> stuff. And then it came out he's a Jimmy Sexton guy. Who Jimmy Sexton runs college football from an agent perspective. Um, and this is a very Jimmy Sexton move. The South Carolina thing was too leveraging yourself for a raise after a four-win season when you were supposed to be a top-four team in the ACC in the middle of a GD pandemic when your athletic program is cutting across across the board. Jimmy Sexton sees that and is like, "This is what you should do. ACC Coach of the Year. You want more money? Make them pay." And everybody, I don't think Satterfield realized like if this gets out. It's going to be a terrible look for you. And it was. And he lost assistance as a result. I think he lost a chunk of the fan base that was only going to be brought back on board if he won big, which he failed to do. And it makes sense now that he would handle things this way with his agent being his agent. Maybe Satterfield, part of him wanted to bet on himself and win eight, nine games, get the bigger raise or get a better job than Cincinnati uh, if the situation was the same in 12 months. But – a lot of coaching in college sports is just about self-preservation, just you know, getting that next job. It's why you know, people wonder why Buzz Williams, the, the coach now the basketball tech at Texas A&M, who was at Marquette and Virginia Tech, and we, you, know, you know Buzz, he, oh, he never stays anywhere more than three or four years, and he makes moves that are seemingly lateral jumps with not huge pay increases because he's, he's openly said he's kind of a neurotic guy. He's terrified of being fired. He's like, I, I, I don't want to, I'm always thinking about getting fired. And even when I feel like I'm having success, he led Virginia Tech to its first Sweet 16 ever. Almost yep. got him to a regional, almost beat Zion Williamson and Duke. Sweated his way through it. He sweated, sweated. Like, he does everything. <laughs> he took Marquette to the, to the lead eight before he left. And Was he, it Colorado State as an assistant, actually? He, I mean, everywhere he goes. Yeah. He, and he always hires fired coaches. Because he wants people to like, you know, he's like, I'm going to be in that situation someday and I want somebody to do the same thing for me. Hire me. Like, that's the way that he, he views things. He's like, I'm just looking for another job, looking for another job, another contract, at least a few more years. And like, there's something to that. There's something to be said for that. Satterfield, at the very least, has earned himself a couple of years of job security. He's got a six-year contract now. If they buy him out after two years, if it's a disaster, he's going to get paid handsomely. And he'll probably have a, a soft landing spot. Maybe he can go back to a Sunbelt program on the East Coast, uh, You know, maybe back to North Carolina where he wants to go. And if he kills it at Cincinnati, he can go to a bigger job. People will look at that and say, look, you know, you know, all these guys that have, have, have coached at Cincinnati and have moved on to greener pastures have been fantastic. Um, so it, it's not – you can understand, I think, why Satterfield makes the move more than you can understand why Cincinnati would want Satterfield to make the yeah. move. 
Yeah, maybe it's just the Mac Brown weight. Could be just just could wait be. for just wait, wait for out. Mac to hang him up any day now. When it seems like Mac, you know, it seems like Mac Brown is is you know he's he's always just just dangling there, and then he does something to save his job, goes on a nice little run. But now he's losing all these guys to the portal. He's losing all these. Yeah, they got their ass whooped in the the ACC title game. It could just be a year. Could just be a year from now. Yeah, I mean Duke's headed in the right direction, so that that one's not going to open up anytime soon, and yeah. nobody wants to go to Raleigh. No, right. Apparently not. Not Devin Leary, not their quarterback. Wow. How about the how about the the ACC roulette wheel of no transfer? quarterbacks are coming back. It's unbelievable. Nobody. They're either graduating or they're leaving. I mean, it was uh, there. There was a perfect storm element to some of these guys, but it's astonishing to me. It's astonishing to me too that the portal has moved into a situation where there are guys like JT Daniels that are going to be playing for their third Power Five program. Yeah. It's it's really uh, Keaton Slovis, I guess, another example. I yeah. mean, it's it's, it's kind of shocking. And in the same light, I think I saw that basically one out of every thirteen college football players at the Division One level are in the portal. Which, if you just kind of do the simple math, that basically means that every team numerically has two starters. Now, I know that the portal Gosh. typically is not starters. But in many cases, it seems like it's one or the other. It's either a high-profile starter, like a quarterback, or it's the third-string safety who feels like they deserve more playing time. And and I, I mean, I'm all for it. I, I understand that you should have freedom to do it. I went to a college for two years and then transferred to another because I just wanted to change the scenery and I didn't like it. And it's, you know, I. It's intriguing, but this this quarterback thing in the ACC is it's crazy. It's if you. If you had your pick of any of them that are available, and I know that uh, that the the BC quarterback has already made his decision, but uh, uh, going to Pitt. I mean, Leary seems like the most attractive from he a is. talent standpoint. Is is there anybody else that catches your eye? Because it's odd to me. I I really liked Armstrong two years ago. Every time I watched him this year, he was not good. Listen, that offense was not a well, form at all. Like they, and that's why he's leaving. He's a you know he's he's done, but. I think Devin Leary is the best quarterback, not just from the ACC that's in the portal, but the best quarterback overall that's in the portal. Yeah. Um, I, I do think DJ Uyunglele could fit. And a lot of this depends on who you bring in as a head coach. Like, DJU can move a little bit. We saw him run against us a little bit, but he would not have been a great fit in the Scott Satterfield offense. He may be a good fit in an offense like Jeff Brahms. Devin Leary, certainly. I mean, he'd be yeah. a good fit in almost anybody's offense. Yeah. He's got a big-time arm. He's you make your offense fit him. For sure. Like, yeah. he's, he's fantastic. But it is just wild. I mean, the JT Daniels thing that you mentioned, there's now a thought. He's got one year of eligibility technically left. He could, because he tore his ACL back in 2019, he could get an extra year for that if he if he petitions for it. Yeah. He's, this will be his, his next school will be his fourth school in four years. He's been at Georgia. Um, oh, God, what's the other one? Uh, Georgia, Ohio State? Was that Ohio State? It was somebody big. USC. That's right. That's USC, right. Yeah. Georgia, West Virginia, now somewhere else. He could theoretically have a college career that sees him see game action, not just like reg, game action, in 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, and 2024. Nuts. Yeah, Absolutely they'll, nuts. They'll be introducing him as doctor. Un- unbelievable. He'll have his doctorate. Unbelievable. Wow. Uh, we got to take a break. When we come back, hour number two, you, you've heard our thoughts on everything going on. We want to hear from you on the Thornton sex line at 502-414-1450, plus candidates other than Jeff Brom. We'll get to all that coming up in hour number two. And Keith Wynn at 430. The Mike Rutherford Show here at 1450 The Big Ups.
We know you can sing. Back in the day, we know I need, you I still need the, sing. I need the other three guys. You can still belt it out. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I sing on the show every day, and I can't. I've never been able to sing. Yeah, you, you and yeah, you and TK are. That's that's high entertainment value. It should be. Yeah. Uh, the only time I, I sing anything, we were watching. Uh, Virginia was watching Aladdin for the first time. Oh. And that's my go-to. Somebody's like, just sing. I'm like, riff rat, street rat. And I was like, Virginia did not think it was funny at all. She's like, stop. She's like, I'm watching. Wow. She's like, I'm watching the show. And I was like, well. My charm has been lost on the younger generation. Well, you know, when you have a kid that's more talented than you, it can God, be tough. She is. Yeah. She is. She's also, I can I can identify. She she makes like fake videos now, like by, by herself. She's like, "Welcome into Virginia's world." I'm like, "Oh, oh they, no. they don't need to be fake." I'm like, oh, "You need no. to start rolling tape." We're a year away. We're a year away from like just you know, doing something where I can quit my job. I'm calling Heyman Talent right now to get her represented. She's ready. She's I'm ready. telling you. But you got you have you have experience in this. You have a very talented child who's killing it in the entertainment industry. We, we may come needing some advice here in the very near future. I'm, I'm serious. We'll, we'll give you the number of Heyman. His, uh, his movie actually is, uh, it's out. Nice. Going to be at Speed School. Oh. They, uh, I think I told you this before, but uh, they have to, they have to be in theaters for a weekend to qualify for the Academy Awards. And it's a Netflix movie by Noah Baumbach called White Noise with mm-hmm. Adam Driver and Don Cheadle and Andre 3000 and Greta Gerwig. But, uh, limited release in theaters, so big cities. But yeah, Speed School and Baxter are kind of the indie film hotbeds here in Louisville. And yeah, Speed School is going to be showing it December, maybe like 16, 17, 18 range. And so really excited. He's He's got a small role. He's got a speaking role. But uh, it is, looks like a wild movie. Is it on Netflix yet? Or when's it going to be on? It'll be on Netflix, I believe, New Year's Eve oh, nice. or, or December 30th. But yeah, it's got to be in theaters first called White Noise. The movie poster is epic. It's 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 really cool. It's based on a novel that I have not read, and a, a lot of people, it, it's wild. It's wild. We don't do anything cool now because we're old, so we, that may be our New Year's <laughs> Eve plan. Like, if it does come out on the 31st, that yeah. may be what we wind up doing. Yeah. The thing about Virginia now, too, when she sings, like, she's, you know, like, you have things when you're a kid and like, you don't understand. You know, she sees these music videos, and it's, it's loud. So, like, she now, when she sings, mm. thinks that you just scream. Like, that's, that's how it's supposed to be done. And she has, I'll hate Trevor forever. She, he's, he's gotten her like, this little like mic. She has a bunch of these. One of them is a, is a mini mic that sings a song where it's like, Bo, be mine. And like, so the music starts and she kind of like starts dancing. And you're like, okay, this is going to be nice. And she just screams loud. She goes, Bo, be mine. And just like, she knows all the words. She just Sprouting. shouts them. And I'm like, okay, I guess it's hilarious. But that's not how you sing. So we just will teach dynamics. We'll get there. My, it, my son teaches voice lessons. So, you know. It's, we may need to call an Eric again. I I think it, let's make it happen. I think I think we need to call Heyman. I think we the do. energy, the look. I think it's all there. She's I mean, got the confidence for sure. She could easily have her own. She'd be an influencer if she had her own channel on yeah, social. Exactly. You got to start rolling tape on these. This is what the kids want these days. Yes, it is. Five zero two four one four fourteen fifty is the Thornton text line. Uh, we'll go there now. You've heard our thoughts on today's thing. We I do have a couple of other things. Well, if Keith went on at four thirty, I want to get to some of the other candidates that are out there besides Jeff Brom that are being talked about. Um, including one who we've already kind of mentioned today. But uh, the first text that we got today, 255, was the just all caps, I want a straight fire between the whistles and to keep the recruits. Mm. Um, as far as the recruit stuff is concerned, as of right now, 
still no decommitments out of these 14 players. Which is smart. Very smart. They're all kind of holding back. We, we did have the most notable thing that we've had in the last 24 hours was Ruben Owens taking the UofL stuff out of his social media channels. Uh, Pierce Clarkson, I guess, did on Instagram but didn't on Twitter. His dad is still actively tweeting um, seemingly pro-Louisville stuff. I don't know if they're just weighing their options. It sounds – I did notice that you know, Owens is getting flooded by fans of Texas A&M and, and TCU – which is understandable. Those, those are the two programs that will come after him the hardest if he does choose to look elsewhere. But as of right now, I think that everybody's just kind of waiting to see what's next. Because again, as these players have said themselves, they did not commit to Scott Satterfield. Now, yeah. some of them did have a very close relationship with Pete Thomas. I do. I think that hurts potentially if you're going to keep them. But we also probably knew that, that Pete was going to go with Louisville, with, with Satterfield to Cincinnati. So we'll see. It's almost like you're on a road trip with a team and you're staying in a nice hotel, and they announced that it's it's overbooked. We're, we're only going to stay there the first three nights. Then we're going to have to book a new hotel. If you want to go home, you can, but you know we're we're going to book a new hotel. Just wait and see what the new hotel is. Might yeah. be really nice. Could be even better. Yeah. So I, I think it's I think it's wise. I I love the social media aspect of it. Um, I don't. I, the the guy's got a five hundred two tattoo, doesn't he? He does. The only thing with, with Owens, and people have pointed this out, and I'm sure that somebody has gotten in his ear already, is if it is Jeff Brom, he's known as a pass-first offense, whereas Owens committed to, to Satterfield, who has a very run-first offense. Yeah. And I'm sure that if you're, if you're the number one running back in America, you would prefer a, a run-first offense. If Jeff does get the job, you know, one of your first things needs to be going to him and saying, hey, I've, I had a pass-first offense at Purdue and Western Kentucky because we didn't have the tools necessary to have a good run run offense. I came from, he's a Petrino disciple. Petrino was very much a 50-50 guy, so much so that I think he would call run plays just to try to get his, his numbers like even. Like He would do that. And I, I think that, Jeff, that will have to be the message that he communicates is now that I have the weapons to be good offensively in whatever area I choose – we're going to ha- emphasize the run game more, especially when I've got you. I've got these offensive linemen that I didn't have at, at Purdue. I didn't have at Western Kentucky. Like You will be featured here prominently. We will get you to the NFL. No problem. Don't worry about that. We're going to throw, but we're going to run as well. Well, not to mention you can diversify your resume as a running back because we'll throw to you. I mean, <laughs> he's, a good, we'll, he's a great receiver. Yeah, we'll run the wheel route. I, I think it's interesting, too, because if you're at a program like App State, why wouldn't you have a run-oriented offense? Because you're more likely to be able to get talented running backs than you are to get an elite quarterback. And so you might as well do things that you're better at. And I almost feel like this year's Louisville team is a decent example of that. I know that TK has his own opinions on on Malik Cunningham and his throwing ability. Malik had a a bad year by his standards. He, he, He slowly developed his entire career. I feel like this year... He maybe dropped off a little bit. I don't know if there were injuries there. I don't. I don't know what it was. But I feel like if there were a little more proficiency with throwing the football, that Sat probably would have thrown the football more this year. Sure. But you can only do what you can do. And there's, I I've never met a coach that's offered a number one player at his position that wouldn't find a way to utilize an individual like that. And I, I mean, you you said he's never had that weapon at Purdue. Never had that weapon at Western Kentucky. I mean, outside of Michael Bush. Louisville hasn't even dreamt of having somebody of that caliber. And we've had some really good running backs at University of Louisville. Yeah, and also, I mean, for all that talk, too, Purdue's going to have a 1,000-yard rusher, assuming that he goes over 1,000 yards, Jones does, in their, their Citrus Bowl game. Like, they've they've run it more effectively this year than they have in years past. Um, it's just 
they throw it a ton when they get behind in games like they did against Michigan because that's you know when you're going and once again this goes back to just not having the Jimmys and the Joes in the Big Ten. Yeah, the Big Ten is it's always going to be big physical meaty dudes in the in the, 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 the I'm trying to do the the, the, the TikTok where the wrestling <laughs> one beefy boys in the middle like that's that's how Big Ten football is and when you're going up against Ohio State and Michigan and Nebraska and Wisconsin and these schools that recruit better than you do in the trenches like you can't beat them north and south you have to beat them with kind of gimmicky stuff that Purdue started doing you have to beat them with a legit passing game and you saw that like you can run it all over Northwestern and you know you know to a lesser extent, like the the Minnesotas and the Indianas of the world, sure. you can't play the same way in these big-time games that, that Brahm has had a lot of success in. Well, and Ohio State's one of the few programs that's kind of figured out if we bring a little more electric talent offensively than the three yards in a cloud of dust that the Big Ten has been known for, that they excel, and that's why they do. I also, I don't, I've never thought of Jeff's offense as being... I feel like he's more toward the middle of the spectrum that throws a Mike Leach, Hal Mummy... Like, it's one thing to be pass-heavy. It's another thing to, you know, almost exclusively throw the football. And I've just – I've never had the sense that that's really even close to the case. And and I think even even Sat being quote-unquote run-heavy, I think, as I said before, had more to do with the talent. I, I think it's rare that you find uh, too big a discrepancy in terms of the run-pass ratio because you can't win football games unless you can run the football. I think that – a lot of it comes down, like Aiden O'Connell threw the ball 47 times against Michigan. And a lot of the notion about what Purdue does offensively is tied to the games that people are paying attention to, which by and large are the Michigan's, Ohio State's. Like the, again, the, the teams that you just cannot physically dominate. You can't win up front. You can't. Yeah. And so you wind up having to throw a ton. And I think everyone's like, oh, there's Jeff Brom's offense. Look at O'Connell's numbers before that against IU the ball 29 times northwestern 25 times um but you know again nebraska who say what you will about their on-field results they get recruits they've got big guys in the middle he had to throw 54 times against wisconsin big time defensive line had to throw it 46 times it's not by design like indiana state the team that they could run all over threw it 19 times like this is in a perfect world i think he would be more of the petrino coach where it was 50 50 and he can play that way at a place like Louisville in the ACC, because you know we've seen firsthand under Satterfield, you can run the ball effectively against the, the rest of the teams in this conference. Besides, you know, one or two, Clemson being the the obvious choice. Um, t- again, text line five zero two four one four fourteen fifty. Texter says, "I sent Cincinnati a turkey for taking Coach Brown from us. I signed the card from TK." Yeah, I mean, even with Brian Brown having so much success this season and the defense being certainly way way better than it's been. Like Louisville fans, I don't think are throwing a pity parade for for losing him just because the this year happened, yeah. But the past three did as well. It, it was nice to see the progress this year. I think if you had the chance to keep him, you would have liked to have kept him. But it's not like a it's not like losing. I don't know, like you know, Charlie Strong back in the day or, or some of those guys. Like you just you weren't losing those types of defensive coaches. At least you don't think. Well, and you a, hope. And, and in his defense, I think. Scott Satterfield and the staff were fighting a battle to balance out recruiting preferences, if you will. (laughs) I mean, I'll never forget looking at his roster and seeing that there were like 17 wide receivers and nine offensive linemen. You know, it's and and I I think this year Keith can speak to this better because he's a lot brighter when it comes to football, but. I feel like the defensive success this year, while the secondary was decent, the linebackers were really good, and obviously we had some stars like Yasir and Yaya, 
what it really boiled down to is the fact that there were five, six, even seven guys up front that we could rotate in and out and keep fresh, and it helped us win battles up front. I mean, I, and I'm, I'm old school when it comes to this. I've said it when I've been on the show with you. You don't win football games unless you win up front, and that's why undersized teams like Air Force that have restrictions in their recruiting because of the ability of the individuals to fit in a cockpit run quote-unquote gimmicky offenses because that's what they have to do. They can't win unless they do things that way. And so, you know, to me, you got to win up front. And I think our offensive line was better this year than it's been. And I think that that's why we had a better year. Texas says, uh, Maccabee, the Purdue running back, destroys UofL's running back numbers. Yeah, he he did. He had a great year. Texas, Maccabee isn't getting to 100 rush yards in Purdue's bowl game. Um, He's going to be academically ineligible. Well, that's breaking news here on the Mike Rutherford Show, if that's true. But if he is eligible... He is 80 yards short. He has 920 for the season, and he has gone. I mean, he he had four games this year where he rushed for over 100 yards, and one where he had 99 against Indiana. So hmm. he, again, if he is eligible to play, and if not, we're breaking news here, then uh, <laughs> he has a very realistic shot of go of being a 1,000 yard rusher, which kind of defeats the whole Brom doesn't run the ball at all type argument. Texter says. Um, Ace Wales rushed for 1,000 yards in 2015. DeAndre Furby had 650 the same year. In 2016, Ace rushed for 1,600 and Quentin Baker at 500. Ace had 200 in the CUSA title game in 16 and caught five for 53. Brom can definitely coach a running back. Also, Ace had five touchdowns in that game. There you go. Um, Texture says Malik pulled a hammy his freshman year of 1996 and never fully recovered. (laughs) I will miss the Malik's been here forever jokes. Like that's – because like – a lot of times I used to get frustrated when people would make the whole, especially in college basketball, like, you know, this guy's been here since forever. I'm like, no, it's a, it's a simple explanation. He played as a freshman a lot. You got to know who he was. And in an era where you either don't see guys who, who stay a long time because they don't start playing a whole lot until they're sophomores or juniors or guys, when they do get good, they leave early. If you have a really good college player who just kind of doesn't have NBA potential but stays before, like, that's why you see guys. But now with the redshirting, and the transferring and COVID and the COVID extra year, Malik Cunningham has literally been here since Lamar Jackson's last season. Like we've known him since 2017. You can absolutely make those jokes because he's been here for a full what six, seven years? 2017, yeah. 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, six years. Through a name change too. Through it, multiple name changes. Well, that's true. Yeah, coming back, uh, which still was a weird deal. I still thought Mikhail was a better player. He, Mikhail killed it <laughs> when he was Mikhail. Texas says, I'm not surprised that things are quiet on the coaching front. Uh, Hurd runs a tight ship, and in the press conference, he displayed a good mix of chip on our shoulder and I don't care mentality. Yeah, I mean, Josh, what was he going to say? I mean, this was, I think this took him by surprise. He said he found out um, late Saturday night that Satterfield was pursuing the Cincinnati job. At that point, still no guarantees that he was going to get the job. And then he found out, I guess, I think late Sunday is when the word started to slip out to those people, the ADs in question that Satterfield was actually going to be the head coach. And he said, I haven't slept since then doing all I can. But he, I mean, we found out during the basketball coaching search, at least publicly, like he's not going to give you like a lot of updates. He's Mm. not, and he's also not the type of guy who's going to go to, you know, the media people and be like, Hey, here's my, put this out there on the site. Here are my candidates. Here's who I've talked to. Here's who wants the job. Who's who doesn't want the job. It's going to be, done in silence for the most part. Yeah, there, I think there are people in administration that want to have the barometer out there to get a feel for how the fans react, but that that's not Josh. That's and I mean, he's incredibly bright. Yeah. <laughs> Josh spent some time on Capitol Hill, 
you know, working in a, in a senator's office, he, he, he's not dumb. Do you, is he suave enough to get Jay Wright to come out of retirement? I know he loves Jay. I know Jay loves him. But I, I would never put it past him. <laughs> I, I, I find it interesting when he talked about trying to identify the next Jay Wright and how fans can become so impatient because it's like, can you identify that person? Because if, if it were that easy, everybody would do it. Yeah. Uh, people act like this is easy, like this is a no-brainer. It, it never is. It, it's never a perfect fit. Just ask Scott Frost. It's, how, how perfect was that going to be in Lincoln? Exactly. And I, I do kind of hate that we've gotten to this. Everybody thinks that there's a, a set formula. And I think we're all a little bit jaded because Tom Jarrett, outside of Steve Cragthorpe, and I guess Bobby 2.0, if you wanted to throw that in there, you know, just every time he brought somebody in, it worked out well. You Was Tom fantastic at his job? Of course. Is there a little bit of luck in all of those hires? Of course. Like you just, you, you never know beyond the shadow of a doubt. And it's why I kind of, like, I didn't like when, the basketball coaching search was happening, people would say, well, Chris Mack was a head coach with a lot of experience and a lot of success, and you know, it didn't work out here. Like, how'd that go? Maybe we need to try something different. I'm like, just because one time it doesn't work out well, and there were plenty of explanations for why things went south under Chris Mack, doesn't mean you just abandon a time-tested philosophy. Like, you know, just because, and I've used this argument before, you know, we've had more luck with assistants who've never been head coaches here than mid-tier coaches that have killed at a, a group of five conference and then have made the jump to power five. Like just because it doesn't mean it would never work out here. You just have to find the right fit and get a couple of breaks for that to happen. Like there's, there's no exact formula. There's no exact no. recipe in these situations. And for everybody to, to act like there is just kind of you know, blows my mind a little bit. And most coaches at any power five program in whatever sport on their resume, they've coached at a, a lesser school as a head coach. It's rare that you you make that jump without paying your dues as an assistant coach. And like you you pointed out, Bobby Petrino, Charlie Strong, even go in other sports. You know, Jeff Walls and Dan McDonald, two of the most successful coaches, Danny Bushboom Kelly. Those are those are coaches that this is their first head coaching job. And I think I think it's going well, but there there's no formula. No. Uh, there, there, how many how many guys, you know, look at Tony Bennett. Like don't you think he's had a pretty good path? Yeah. You know, did was he a hot assistant coach for a power five? And I was the head coach at Wisconsin Green Bay. And, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I look I look at Nico Medved. They hired Nico Medved at Colorado State, and he's a name not a lot of people know about. But as a fan, I was kind of disappointed because I was like, yeah, he was at Drake and at Fordham, and Crushing. neither were very good. But I didn't look back to see where they were before he took over the job. And he took two terrible programs and made them decent. And now at Colorado State, he's, you know, he's in line for his next job, and he'll sure. end up he'll he'll be power fiving somewhere. I mean, look at Indiana right now is the perfect example. Mm. Everybody thought Archie Miller was the next big thing at IU. I thought Archie Miller, no brainer, gonna kill it there. He's the guy. He's the best hire they've made so far. Goes poorly. Goes yeah. goes worse than poorly. It's awful. Mike Wisdom gets the job. What are they doing? This seems like another just gigantic swing that's going to set the program back for another few years. They're and are they just lost to Rutgers? They're still in line to have the best season that they've had since 2013, and maybe get to a regional final for the first time since 2001. Like they like they're there's just no way to know for sure. Go back and look at. I like what Matt Norlander does when he goes back and gives grades four years after the fact and looks at the grades that he gave immediately. Because having done this many times, like every site wants you to do coaching grades after the coaching carousel has died down because you know every program wants to know 
hey, my guy was an A. Or if you're pissed off about it, they want confirmation that my guy's a C minus. We should be upset about this. Yeah. And the, I went back and looked at some of mine like years after the fact, and it, it was just awful. Like, like I just sometimes you're right. Like sometimes the no brainer hire does wind up being a no brainer hire, and they kill it. More times than not, like you get a couple of guys who seem like, you know, what are they doing here? Who end up being really good fits. And you're always in every cycle going to have one or two play guys who seems like they check every single box who just flop for whatever reason. Just, just, just flop. That's it's just sports. Well, how easy should it be to hire a football coach at Notre Dame? Yeah. I mean, that should be the easiest job. You look at what Jerry Faust. Or Indiana basketball. Well, that yeah, yeah. That's a great. I mean, you look at what Jerry Faust did. You look at what Bob Davey did. They hired George O'Leary and he didn't even coach there. And then Tyrone Willingham, oh, perfect fit. No, he's, he's gone. And he, Charlie Weiss, that can't miss. He missed. <laughs> Ironically, they hire Brian Kelly, and he goes to what appear to be greener pastures. And, well, we'll see what Marcus Freeman can do. I think that was a good hire. But, you know, Michigan, same way. Like, people thought Harbaugh was the wrong guy. Speaking of Ty Willingham, whose name I always just forget, but it always reminds me of the same story since we're tying in all these these different characters together. When my senior year, Brian Brahms junior year, when when Brian had every football coach in the world calling him, he played like it was the funniest thing. Or he would he played us a sequence of three different messages that he had had on his phone that day before one of our baseball practices. And I can't remember who the first two coaches were, but they were very bombastic. Like it, it may have been Phil Fulmer at Tennessee mm. at the time, but just like hey, bro, like. So great catching up with you. Like, love talking to you about, love seeing you, blah, blah, blah. Like, just screaming into his voicemail. And then the third one was, Brian, this is Tyrone Willingham from Notre Dame. I heard a wonderful rumor that you may be attending our camp this weekend. Just wanted to say, and I was like, it was just the funniest mm. leaping thing to have the, the juxtaposition between the first two classic, like, A-type, just in-your-face coaches, and then, hello, Brian, this is Tyrone Willingham. And the NPR pitch. At that point, like wow. pe- people thought Ty Willingham was going to be the next big thing. Oh, and he was absolutely. off to a great start, no and then pretty quickly it flopped after that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 502-414-1450 is the Thornton's text line. Texas says, Josh, get some sleep. You'll make better decisions. I do. When people <laughs> say that, when they're like, I haven't slept, you know, I always wonder how literal it is. I, I assume it means you've at Ooh. least gotten two or three hours, because if you haven't slept at all, like as somebody who struggles with sleep, it's – you cannot function. And I don't know if Josh has actually been awake for 72 straight hours. I'm hoping he's gotten some sleep because if not, that's, uh, that's tough. Well, this is a person who, you know, in his free time takes part in the, you know, get a group of guys together and run a hundred miles in the mountains. You know, when Josh works out, he runs to Indiana and back. So he's, he's a heart rate guy. Just for fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a heart rate guy too. It's just not, not not for good reason. Mine's much more slow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Texas says, I think the stream, the stream is not down. The stream should be good. The stream should be good, guys. Uh, Texas, this was someone's reply to you saying that you wouldn't be shocked if Brian took the job. I did not say that I wouldn't be shocked if Brian would take the job at Kentucky. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and clarify that right now. I said at the very beginning of that, that conversation, I would be shocked, surprised. I don't think I said shocked. I said surprised if Brian took the job at Kentucky. What I did say was it wouldn't be the first time that he has done something where he's kept it quiet from everybody around him, where yeah. he's been just kind of silent. Like, Brian's a quiet guy. He moves in, in silence. And my understanding at the moment, as of several hours ago, no indication that he was going to take the UK job. But if it did happen, like, it wouldn't be the first time. Like, I'm not saying it could it could never happen. I know Liam Cohen is the front runner. Everybody assumed he was going to take the job. Um, but it sounds like there may be some sort of hold up there. Liam Cohen also, by the way, has been listed as a candidate for the L job. 
you never want to take a guy who everybody thinks is going to be the offensive coordinator or arch rival <laughs> to be your head coach. The optics of that would not look great. Um, the other names, by the way, Adam Rittenberg put out a story for ESPN Plus. If you don't have an ESPN Plus subscription, guess what? I'm going to undercut their cost right here, and I'm going to tell you who he's got. He's got the he's got Jeff Brom and everybody else, which should be I think everybody's layout here for these types of posts. But outside of Brom, the candidates that he does list are a guy that you mentioned earlier in the show, Sharon Moore, who's great guy. Clearly got direct ties to Louisville. Mm. He's been at Michigan now and had a whole lot of success there as the, the co-offensive coordinator. Got uh, his master's in sport administration here, I believe. Love this bad program here. Yep. Everybody very successful. The He's got Kent State's coach, uh, Sean Lewis, who also was a guy who was rumored as being a front runner for the Cincinnati job before Satterfield ended up getting it. Now, didn't he get the offensive coordinator job for, for Pro- Coach Prime in, in Boulder? Is it gone? Is that happened I in the last 24 I thought minutes? I saw that, but I could be wrong. I, mean, make sure I could be wrong because that was – you know, as a lifelong CU buff hater, that's all been very interesting to follow that progress and and see how things have have moved forward there in Boulder. And that's uh, that's quite a personality to take the head coaching job in Boulder. That is so. That is now, I guess, not become official, but it's being okay. widely reported that he will be joining Deion Sanders. So that check that one off the board, Rittenberg, uh, Sean Lewis. <laughs> I guess technically still available if you wanted to swing him, but probably not going to happen. Sure. Uh, he's got WKU head coach Tyson Helton, who's done a good mm. job down there. I think that a lot of Louisville fans would balk at the idea of taking a Western Kentucky coach, and, and maybe deservedly so, but he has had two now nine-win seasons down there, and WKU has produced some pretty good coaches over the years. Uh, Troy coach John Summerall, who has mm. ties to Kentucky, but not – Louisville, more UK, played linebacker at UK, and then was a uh, a coach there for three seasons fairly recently. Dan Mullen, who I don't think anybody would get excited about uh, if he took the job. And the last name that he does mention is the Liam Cohen, who we just uh, just mentioned, another guy with UK ties. I, I think after the after the string of, of news that we've had in recent years, I think UofL fans want somebody without big Blue Nation ties. I think that that's kind of safe to say whether it's you know Liam Cohen or Donald Trump, not saying whether that's fair or not because we've all had the same you know Howard Schnellenberger went to UK and mm-hmm. you know we current our head coach right now is coach at UK but I think people are just kind of sick of it just just ready for something different I, I've seen that I've seen that request a number of times in the last 24 hours also am I seeing Derek Edwards is tweeting out that he's withdrawing his name from the transfer portal? we've had multiple players now take their names out of the transfer portal Derek Edwards today Put his name in, and then six hours later, I believe, pulled his name out. Both times that the announcement was made, on three used a picture of Yaya Diaby for the, for the, for the announcement. Because he maybe he, people don't know about me. Maybe I need to go back. He, he responded. He was like, "I didn't realize I was that big." When the first time they put it out there, and then they used the same picture again the second time. I feel like I owe it to the show to just go off on a tangent occasionally when TK's not here. But do you follow Super Seventy Sports? Yes. On, on, yes. He, he's a U of L grad. Is he? I had no idea until right now. I'm reading. He tweeted out, who's the best active pro athlete who attended your alma mater? I'll start Lamar Jackson, University of Louisville. I, had, I knew he was from the area. I had no idea. He was, Louisville runs the media world. How about that? Even the ones you don't know. How about they're, that? They're from Louisville. That is a hilarious, not, not a child-friendly account, hilarious account. And clearly the guy's good. about my age, so it's phenomenal to kind of see. And I, actually, he may very well have been here when Jeff Brown was here. He may have been. Texas Sean Moth voice. A train passes in the distance. <laughs> the conductor is leaning out the window looking to get a glimpse of some Louisville magic. A bird lands on a nearby light pole, and Satterfield has taken the job at Cincinnati. Grass <laughs> track, wall, carts win. Well done. Uh, Texas says, I love moth days. 
Texas says, uh, step one, bring Brom home. Step two, bring Sean back to Cardinal Stadium. You are getting blamed. Both my friends privately and people on the text line do say that like when Sean Moth left, it's nothing good has happened. No, I've seen it. Yeah. You're kind of getting blamed for it. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, I get that. I don't know if you're the one I, who deserves the blame, I, but I mean, I can apologize. <laughs> but I'm still I, doing baseball games, st- which is why baseball's killing it. And I did volleyball last year on TV. So. They're killing. It. Yeah, I mean, it just it just says it's. Just... Uh, Texas Sean Moth giving TK the surprise left hook with the pole vault joke. He's not listening right now. TK's in a, a fever dream state. <laughs> He's fine. I honestly, I was curious, like you, when he found out yesterday, just hearing your conversations with him and his sleep schedule as to, you know, what what it would be like for him to wake up to that news. But he actually. Kind of an early riser there to get the news, I guess. But he, he doesn't rise because I, I well, know I know for a fact like he doesn't respond to text messages before two o'clock. But he has admitted in the past that he'll see them. Like he leaves his phone on for in case like you know the station's on fire or sure. something like that. But even if it was on fire, he's gonna roll over, acknowledge that, and be like, "I'll deal with that at two p.m. I'll deal with that in four hours. I'm not getting up for it." So I, I figured that he had seen the slew of texts that he had to have gotten, including one from myself, but just was not going to to pay it any mind until. Yeah, whatever. That's fair. Uh, we got to take a break. When we come back, we'll get Keith Wynn on the phone. We'll have his uh, football expertise, his thoughts on the Satterfield departure and what the likelihood is of Louisville keeping this class together. Keep it locked right here on 1450 and 961 The Big X. Tuesday here on the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. Love it. We'll start the segment with an apology. Uh, I promised Keith Wynn after the break because I thought we were going to get Keith Wynn on. I was informed the phones have not worked here for two weeks. Uh, Nobody let me know. I mean, I know we were in and out last week. It was a little weird with the holidays and then me getting sick, but I did not know that we could not make calls anymore. I knew we couldn't get calls. I've known that for a year and a half at this point. I did not realize <laughs> that we couldn't make calls. So poor Keith was like, I was just about to text you if I'm coming on. I'm like, actually, uh, not going to happen. So we'll figure that out. Not sure. I mean, how did, I mean, last week Trevor had cover on because he cussed twice on the air. I found that out. I don't know, I don't know how they <laughs> made that work, but we'll have to, I'll have to pick TK's brain about that because uh, if he's going to be out tomorrow, I'll have to get uh, you know, I, mean, I need to make some calls, maybe get some guests on. But it, it is, we have Sean Moth in studio here. And that's all we really need. And we need you on the yeah. text line as well at 502-414-1450. Uh, I wanted to – are you ready for – we all need, like, a quick departure every now and then, and we'll get back to the football discussion. But a departure that especially maybe makes you feel better about the problems going on in your own athletic program and with your own teams. Mm. Have you seen the New Mexico State story? I grabbed a headline off of Twitter last night, and I didn't delve into the story because it was at an hour where I wasn't really going to be able to digest it. But something to the effect of – the coaches on the basketball team helping harbor the weapon that was used. I I know that there was a New Mexico State trip to Albuquerque, if I'm not wrong, and 
the night before the game, there was an altercation that involved the shooting and it correct. involved a player. Correct. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you fill in the blanks from there because I don't know how accurate I'm, I've, I've got the up-to-date look. It's an absolutely banana story. So it, it was, it's been bonkers from the beginning. Yesterday, the new reporting made it even more crazy. So the, the story is this. Last month, New Mexico and New Mexico State played a football game. Big rivals, of course. And a, a, vi- a video went viral of a pretty bad fight in the crowd. Um, one of the, the the people involved, allegedly, he's he's on camera, he's, he's in the fight, was Mike Peake, who plays basketball for New Mexico, uh, New Mexico State. So nobody thinks anything of this. Apparently, the, new, the, 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 the people that he was in a fight with are New Mexico students. So New Mexico, a month later, is going to play New Mexico and Albuquerque, like you said. They play, they play two games. Coached by Richard Patino. Coached by Richard Patino. Yeah. They're off to a, a, a fantastic start. Yeah. They're getting votes in the AP people. Absolutely. They just broke St. Mary's, like, 44-game home win streak against non-conference teams a couple days ago. So they go – they're in Albuquerque for the first of two games against New Mexico State – or against New Mexico. They're at the team hotel. This peak, apparently, starts getting these text messages. He's talking to a girl, he thinks, on some social media device – and is told she's a New Mexico student. She wants to have sex. She wants to hook up. So he breaks curfew. Again, this is like they're playing Saturday morning. This is like 3 a.m. They're, they're playing a game in like nine hours. But he and a couple of other teammates, they break curfew. Rivalry game. Rivalry game. Huge game. To go meet up with this girl who winds up being a 17-year-old girl, by the way. Ugh. But is friends with three New Mexico stu- students who were involved in this fight the prior month of the football. They're going to... It's they're trapping him. They're they're gonna lure him in. They're gonna beat him up. He goes to the dorm, gets dropped off. I guess catches wind of what's going on before it starts happening. They try to attack him. One of them brings out a baseball bat, tries to hit him. One of them brings out a gun, tries to hit him, and actually shoots him as he's running away. He returns fire, shoots one of them four times, kills him. He shot in, in his leg. The his teammates, three of them, I think, pick him up in a car, rush him off. He they get call an ambulance. They call for help. Somebody comes by. They finally he gets medical treatment. The players go back to the hotel. The coaches are alerted of the situation, and they're contacted by the authorities. And their initial reaction is like, just hide this, just cover it up. So they end up taking, the, you know, the the Las Cruces police, the the New Mexico State campus police are like, we can help out with the Albuquerque police. Like we can get, we know some of these people. We can contact them. They end up. Coming back to the hotel, the New Mexico police does, the, the Albuquerque police, trying to find the gun, trying to find any sort of evidence. And they realize that the the media device that's been sending these messages to this girl was a computer, and it's on the move. And it's on the team bus with a group of coaches. So they, you know, the, the, the cop in question puts on his lights, puts on his blinkers. They start calling the coaches. The coaches start hanging up on him. They end up like finding the bus on the highway, pull it over. Good in there. There's a coach with the laptop with, I think, one other piece of of evidence. They're saying they don't know where the gun is. They end up, the, the cop from uh, from from Las Cruces, and who knows some of the teammates, winds up getting the head coach to, like, admit, like, we think the gun's probably back in the team hotel. They find an assistant with it wrapped up in a towel in his hotel room, getting ready to get rid of it. At that point, all the players stop talking. All the coaches say, we need lawyers. That evidence, that story gets out there last night. Just, I don't know how they continue with the season at this point. You've got, I mean, the the Pete kid 
it's a clear case of self-defense. Like he's he's not going to go to jail for murder. Like yeah. he can go to jail for weapons possession or something else if if he had that firearm illegally, and maybe trying to to withhold evidence. But the coaches, I mean, this is pretty clearly like you're you're certainly not working with the police. They're the police. All their statements are like we're not trying to jump to conclusions, but they certainly were not cooperating fully. We don't want to say that they're going to be charged with tampering with evidence, but they definitely. You know, they indicated that there was no gun. They indicated that they didn't know where the gun was. That clearly was a lie. It is a wild, wild story. They played a, a like an NAIA school yesterday and beat them by 45. And they were all showing the coaches like rushing the players to the locker room and like withholding their phones so they couldn't like see what was going on. I'm sure they were going to tell them like, hey, this is what's happening. You're going to be contacted. But it is a nasty, nasty situation, which just lets you know as a UFL fan, like, it could be worse. <laughs> Always be could definitely be worse. And, and and the first thing that comes to my head too is, you remember the Baylor situation with Dave sure. Bliss? Dave Bliss was the head coach at New Mexico before he was at Baylor. Gosh, what what is it about New Mexico? Not to mention I've I've been to Albuquerque. I've never been to Las Cruces. Haven't heard great things about it. But the the other thing that popped into my head was Marvin Menzies. Yeah, because he was the head coach there. And then I'm thinking, well, I, then he, I think he went to UNLV. I couldn't remember what he was doing now. I didn't realize he's the head coach at UMKC. Yeah, that's right. I, I had no idea. Had no idea. They're four and seven, by the way. The Ruse have, have had a rough go because Kareem <laughs> Richardson was out yeah, there. Yeah, with Andre McGee, the coaching tree. Yeah, Uber. I, yeah. And I think that I want to say he's got on his staff at UMKC another former Cardinal right now. I could be wrong about that, but I, he is he's had kind of a rough go of it. But those guys just seem to be rotating jobs um, out there between like UMKC. Cal State Northridge, <laughs> these yeah. other schools. Reggie Theus. They all just seem to be yeah. there. And now, yeah, and now you've got uh, – uh, it's just it, – it's a wild, wild story. But, yeah, the Mexico State stuff, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to, to really come. You do, don't you? Yeah, you Because how so. many people are complicit? The whole damn team, it seems like, or at least – and you do feel bad for the kids that have nothing to do. It's Michael Bowden, by the way. Yeah, he's the assistant I was just going to give you that, yeah. Shout out to Dark Slime. Interesting. Yeah. Not 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 dark not that not Michael Baff or Michael Bowden, uh, but we do love you, Dark Slime. But this is uh, picked up a win the other day. Who did? Michael uh, Dark Slime, right? At Mail. Um, maybe I'm confusing him. Was he, he was an assistant at Mail last year? I know. I think he's a head coach at North Harden now. Oh, is he, did he get a head coaching job? I think so. I knew he was an assistant at Mail last year. Props to him. Go North Harden. Um, God, we have a lot of former UVL players that are head coaches at the high school level. It's intriguing, and here it's yeah. really intriguing, and it's. Uh, because uh, Ellis Miles is the head coach at Fern Creek now. That's right. Parents on that staff. David Levitt, David Levitch, North Oldham. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, the bullet, Elijah Justice, is taking teams to the Sweet 16. He's having a lot of success out there. This hometown, what, what county was that? I can't remember. Uh, wherever it is, he's um, he's the head coach there. I should know that. I know. I, I, I'm just that's losing embarrassing. my mind. It's okay. Um, gosh, where? Pikeville. There Pikeville you go. is the school. Is it there Pikeville High School? I think that's right. Whatever. He's fine. He's doing a great job. It's, High School. it's always interesting to see players that become coaches and how likely it was at the time that they were actually going to do that. You know, as you get to know them as a player, you know, because obviously Dan McDonald's got his own coaching tree. And I, I only speak to baseball a lot because I traveled with the team for 23 years and so I've sure. been around the guys. But, you know, I think you, in fact, you know Skyler Mead. Skyler mm-hmm. Mead's the head coach at Troy. You know, he's had a really nice uh, d- development of his career, I think, Eastern Illinois, and then he was at MTSU, and then he was uh, at a – uh, Michigan State, if I'm not mistaken, yep. now head coach at Troy. Uh, you've got uh, Jimmy Bellinger was also on the 07 team. He is the pitching coach for Eric Backich at Clemson. You've got uh, Chris Cates, who was on that team, who was an assistant coach down at UCF. 
Chris Dominguez on that team, head coach at Bellarmine. You know, it's uh, Mike Gersh is an assistant now there, isn't he? At Bellarmine. Is he? I think so. Adam Elliott's the pitching coach. Maybe that's who I'm thinking of. Gersh is He's actually coaching, coaching with your buddy. He is the uh, defensive coordinator for the uh, the Yankees. Aaron oh, is, that, that's right. Yeah. He is. Yeah. And Justin Hayward is the head coach at Lincoln Memorial, I think, the rail splitters, also on the 07 team. And then uh, I don't, I can't remember if Derek Alfonso is still coaching. Logan Johnson was the head coach at Owensboro, but he, he's moved into administration, I believe. Cool. Uh, recently inducted into the Louisville Hall of Fame. But, yeah, it's always intriguing because, you know, did, did we have David Levitch pegged to possibly be a coach down the road? Yeah, possible. Uh, I, I didn't know enough about Michael Baffour to know, uh, you know, except that he made a brief appearance in the holiday song album that I put together, the video <laughs> of Twas the Night Before Christmas. So dark slime. Dark slime. We love him. Uh, I talked to him a little bit at the – because I knew he was with Mail because I talked to him at the Russ Smith thing last year after his – okay. Uh, retirement ceremony, celebration, Jersey retirement celebration. But it is a—it's uh, pretty nuts to see all these different guys, all these different sports come back and go. Parent Johnson's on Ellis oh, staff yeah. at uh, at Fern Creek, and then I mean the football side of things. Christian Academy's entire staff is, is former UFL players. Yeah, yeah. It's Hunter Cantwell being the head coach. Well, and of course, Stefan was there and is now back home in, in Louisiana. And mm-hmm. It is definitely fun to watch. But back to the New Mexico State. Yeah, I guess the question is: is who 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 steps in? Because from a financial standpoint, in terms of revenue and just giving a death sentence to your program, I would feel like administration would be hesitant to take a step like that. If you're the conference commissioner, is that where you stick your nose in? Is, is there another oversight committee that has any power? You know, we know the NCA doesn't, but that's man, that's that's ugly. That is really ugly. Yeah, their head coach, I don't it's his first year. I don't know anything about him, uh, Greg Hire. And New Mexico State though is a I mean, they've run the whack for a long time. Oh yeah. Like, they're always in the NCAA tournament. They have a long history of having successful head coaches and successful programs. I don't know anything about this guy. I know that he he had some relationship. I think he played for Chris Jans in college. Chris Jans who was at New Mexico State for so long okay. and, and killed it there. Um, and I don't know if he has like a dubious background. He's a lifetime like he's been spent a lot of time at the the juco level but it's not a great look for him i I know he's trying to act in the best interest of his players but at some point like you've got to be a little bit more forthcoming in a situation like this you talk about like not getting another job like having no shot it's first year on the job first month as a as a head coach basically and this is happening and this is Things could be worse. Outside of the Baylor thing, this is about as bad as it gets. Like this is this, it, it's it's not good. And I mean, Peak is one of their best players, and he's you know outside of everything else, like he's been shot. Like he's yeah. she got shot in the leg. He's not going to play again this season. I know that's the least of their concerns, but it's just a it's awful. You have four players and all involved in this, um, and somebody lost their life. A nineteen year old got shot and killed. It's a horrible, horrible story. But yeah. It, Losing games isn't the worst thing in the world if you're a, a college sports fan. Five one two four one four fourteen fifty is the Thornton Sex Line. Texas says Derek Alfonso, by the way, is at Barron County in Glasgow, Kentucky, is the okay. coach. Um, I didn't even mention everybody too. I, Greg Del George is coaching. There's a lot of other guys. And, and coach Max Tree is extensive enough that Stephen Williams, the SID, put a page in the notes now that just kind of outlines the the coaching tree. And you know that goes. That, that's not even speaking to assistant coaches. Chris Lamonis won the national title two years ago, so. Gosh, but yeah, thanks for that update on Derek. Uh, Texas says, I love hearing Sean Moth on the radio today. His voice is so smooth, <laughs> a.k.a. Santana featuring Rob Thomas. Oh, thank you. 
Texas, in the most ironic thing ever, the Mexico State mascot is actually named Pistol Pete, and oh, the yeah. logo is a cowboy holding two pistols. I, it is. It absolutely is. Texas, wow. Does New Mexico State have a point guard that can come here? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I'm just looking at their website, looking at the basketball headlines. Aggies win big at home behind Oda Nuwu's career night. Uh, Ay, that was that was today's headline. Texas, what kind of beer does Jeff Brom drink? I'm thinking he's a Keystone Ice House guy. I'm not sure. It says also, additionally, what does a guy who drives a Honda Accord spend $7 million a year on? Like, I, Not beer if he's drinking Keystone Light. No. I, I was texting with Keith about this like yesterday when we were talking about Jeff. And like the bra- I, I know it's easy to be jaded. Like Everybody tries to paint themselves as it, – it's like politicians who are like, oh, it's just a little old – cowgirl coming from the farm and and you realize like no you weren't you had a silver spoon in your mouth the entire time you went to, to private schools your entire life like no the, everybody tries to paint themselves as pictures as every man or every woman but the the brahms are maybe sometimes to their detriment just insanely genuine like yeah still fern creek to the core like yeah. they don't like eating at like horribly fancy restaurants like i know everybody's made fun of the whole honda Accord thing Jeff does just drive crappy cars because he doesn't care enough about it. Like they don't, they don't care about stuff. They are very, very just salt of the earth. Like they don't, I think, make up stories to try. They don't play the game if you want to use those terms. And I think it's refreshing. Sometimes people think like, like you know, it's just you're being naive. Like they, they, they can't quite possibly be like this. Like it sometimes it just they are genuine artifacts, and it's it's very much a straightforward type thing. Um, like I don't think I don't know if Jeff's ever had like a fancy glass of wine. I don't think he would like that. It's just, he's a straightforward guy, Bud Light, pounding it. Well, and he he had an opportunity to, and I, I don't think a lot of people talk about this, but his brief NFL career, you know, was mostly as a backup. But the, the quarterbacks he was a backup to is extraordinary. Yeah. Like, he had incredible opportunities. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned the the, the what is it, the street fight quote that you street fight between the whistles. I I I can never get past the coin toss XFL. It's great that that whole sequence awesome. right there alone is is enough to. I don't know. I it's hard not to get excited about that potential. But I, I think the bottom line is is we talked about this. I think the first time I came on is the whole fan base know who you are, and I think I think Jeff can take us to exactly where we need to be and. I think the beauty of it too is if he does come here and has the success we think he can, where's where's he gonna go? Yeah, I don't think he. I mean, could could we have a guy here for fifteen, twenty years for a change? And if you want like fact based evidence to to support this, the man turned down Alabama twice to be the offensive. He, Nick Saban asked him to be the offensive coordinator at Alabama twice, and he turned him down to stay here. And then he ends up get, becoming the sacrificial lamb early on in, in Steve Craigthorpe's failed tenure, which was uh, sort of you know. Telling in hindsight, Nick Saban thinks this guy is good enough yeah. to be my offensive coordinator, call my plays, and Steve Craigthorpe doesn't. Um, Nick Saban, I think, wound up knowing what he was doing a little bit more than than Coach Craigthorpe did. But I think that if you're ever looking for a lifer, and I've 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 long been of the belief, especially after Charlie left, because if anybody was going to stay here forever, had a reason to, it was it was Charlie Strong. Yeah. And when he didn't, I think you just you kind of realize it's not just us. It's not like the top. 50% of jobs in college football are guys who are going to stay there forever if they can, and everybody else is just a stepping stone. Like 95% of jobs in college football can be stepping stones. Somebody left Notre Dame. Somebody left Notre Dame <laughs> for an SEC job. Yeah. You, there were rumors back in the day 
that Les Miles was going to leave LSU for Michigan. Yeah. Like LSU is a stepping stone job. Like there is no job. They can, so, so when that's the case, being a, a fan of a program like Louisville, if somebody wants to come here and become our Denny Crum, sure, that's ideal. But I'm not going to expect it anymore. No. I want you to come here. I want you to crush it for four, five, six years, however long you're here. Leave the program in a better place than you found it. Take the better job with the more money if you want to. And then hope that we can bring in somebody else who can continue that success, whether it's somebody from your staff who we use as a holdover or somebody who has the same background that you did when we hired you. Like that, I think, has to be what you hope for. Having said that, if anybody ever was going to to crush it here, take Louisville to that next level, and then stick around forever, it would be Jeff or one of the other Brahms. Well, and the first family of local football. And, and how, how, how much better fundamental understanding of the city, the program, the, the school could you have? Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting. It's it, like I said yesterday, and it, this does it matter more than winning and losing ultimately? Of course it doesn't. Winning and losing is what it all comes down to. Yeah. But if you're looking for somebody who can excite the fan base in a way that it hasn't been excited since Lamar left, basically, Jeff's. I mean, really the only realistic name out there that, that I think does that, that that you can win the offseason with. And now, you know, like Luke Fickle, people talked about, if, yeah, if you'd been able to get Luke Fickle, sure. you would have, fans would have been excited. But Jeff will come in, and to the casual fan, and there are, let's be honest, Louisville is not a fan base that has done football fandom for generations. It's not in our DNA the way it's in some other places' DNA. You have a lot of fans that when things are good, they're packing those stadiums. Like 20,000 of those those fans, when you make the jump from 40,000 to 60,000, that that third third yeah. are fans who aren't following the ins and the outs of all this stuff, but they know who Jeff Brom is. And they know when Jeff Brom comes in here and starts speaking loudly and excited and doing his whole street fight between the whistles thing, that excites those people who have not been excited for the last four years under Scott Satterfield. That's important. It's, it's certainly important for the next eight months if you're trying to get ticket sales back up, if you're trying to get added interest in this football program, he can do that. Now, does it all go out the window if you go out there and you lay an egg against Georgia Tech in game one? Of course it does. But that's the, the case for everybody. Yeah. Right think, now, with basketball doing what it's doing and not doing what it's doing, you can't have both programs flatlined. You've got to inject some life somewhere with these two spotlight sports. And right now, football's the option. Because basketball's in midseason. Season's not going well. It doesn't look like it's going to get much better. This hire needs to be something that everybody can rally around because we need something to rally around at this moment. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to see. Speaking of Scott Frost, do, does he get another job? Is it just gonna? Is there gonna be a I little? Is there just gonna be a beat to to let everybody catch their breath and then it's uh, do because, some TV work? Because I still feel like he's a he's a coach, and ironically, as a former offensive coordinator at Oregon, how about Will Stein? How about Will Stein? I mean, how fantastic is that? You talk about a great kid. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And maybe that person that takes over down the road Brinkside at his home. alma mater. I mean. BSH. Make it happen. Uh, I mean, if, if you're talking about in college football, like most sought after or most like high profile offensive coordinator jobs, Oregon has to be right up there. I mean, that's, no question. when you think offense, crazy offense in college football, Oregon, if it's not the first name that you think of, it's the second or third. And for him to land that position after you know just being a high school coach four or five years ago is pretty astounding. He's he made a huge name for himself in the state of Texas, both at the college and the high school level. He helped UTSA win back-to-back conference USA titles. He's very well thought of in college circles. You see him on all these lists of rising assistant coaches who will be head coaches at some point in time. And that's 
when you get the offensive coordinator job at Oregon, that's the next step is head coach. Like, like you, you're going to be there for three, four years. If you do what, what most Oregon offensive coordinators do yep. and light up the scoreboard and help that program win Pac-12 titles and flirt with the playoff or get to the playoff, you're going to be a head coach in four or five years. And I think that's where Will Stein's trending towards. Well, and maybe I don't appreciate UTSA and where that program has evolved to as much as I should, but to make that jump? That's impressive. Meet me. Because he was a quarterback's coach at UTSA two years ago. I guess right. And then offensive coordinator the last time. And now he's the offensive yeah. coordinator in the Pac-12. At, Unreal. Which, if the whole UCLA-USC thing happens, that that's the program. They become the, the face of the Pac-12. Yeah. And if if they're not, and there's another helping of realignment, they're probably going to the Big Ten or the SEC. Like they're, gonna, oh. they're one of those four that's going to get picked. Ugh. And he, hey, bad for us, good for Will, for sure. Fantastic. He's in a good spot. I'm really happy for him. Texas says, uh, Sean Moth made my uh, baby stop crying in the car. That's what he does. It's the effect that he has. Usually I make people cry, so that's good. It's good to know I have the reverse effect at times. Texas says, am I the only one who would be taking this basketball season a whole lot well if Kenny Payne actually did have the Mickey Mouse voice? It would help. It would it, hmm. it'd be better. I've always, I've always... The culture speeches would go over better. I've always threatened to, to just do an inning on April Fool's Day in such a fashion. Oh! I don't know that I'd go with Mickey, but you know, you should ground ball to third. <laughs> I think I think we've got an April. Jerry loved it. I think we've got an April first game this year. We can make that happen. Tune in. Who who knows? Well, we gotta cut the turnovers down, guys. I don't know what to say. Yeah, just you, maybe if you, maybe just try it one game. Maybe just if we if we end up getting just pasted by a one and nine Florida State team on Saturday, who's to say you don't come out and be like, I'm still seeing signs of improvement, and uh, you know. City's got to get in better shape, but the turnovers were better tonight. Would be a better choice than Goofy. But credibility might hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Mickey's an icon. Sorry about that, folks. I can't. I, I try to do Goofy sometimes at home, and Virginia doesn't. She doesn't go for it the way that she goes for the Mickey boys. That, it's a all oh, shucks. That's tough. That's a tough audience because I think their ears are more in tune because they hear it all the time. Oh, she doesn't take it from mommy at all. Mommy tries to do voices. <laughs> Daddy's the only one who can do it. And she gets very frustrated when my voice goes out a little bit and I can't do Mickey. Mm. I've been lately she's been she's obsessed with Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't know how that happened, but she's obsessed with me being Jack Skellington and she gets to be Sally. And so I end up having to make like Nightmare Before Christmas type songs from what's going on in the house. And the Chris Penn voiced Jack Skellington, but Danny Elfman sang for him, I think, in the movie. Is that what it was? I don't know who voiced him. It's been a long time. It's 1993. I was going to say, it's, it's stood the test of time. It's an extraordinary movie. Because the voice of Sally is the the, the mom from Home Alone. Yes. Um, whose name is the improv right now. Kath, um, she's on the... Catherine O'Hara. Catherine O'Hara. Thank you. I was going to refer to the show, and then I realized I may not be able to refer to the show that she's currently on with Eugene Levy and that. The, uh, yeah. The Creek. <laughs> It's Ish Creek. Yeah, I know. I mean, it, it, you could say it, but I think I, I've said it. I think I, I've had to do that sometimes before where it's been like a legit sports. And it's been one of those things where like you because there was a player for um, for for Vanderbilt a few years ago who was like, uh, like again, like I don't know. If, <laughs> yeah, it was like Ish too. Like, like that was his name. Yeah. And like you have to you had to say it like it was. I was like, well, it's, it's the actual word. What do you want me to say? Shiitake mushrooms. That was basically what it was. Yeah, yeah that's who it is. All right, we have, we've got over the top here. We have to go to break. When we come back, 5 o'clock hour, we'll reset the conversation. We'll talk football, Scott Satterfield, Jeff Brom, all those updates coming your way here on the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 The Big Ass.
Sean, what's your favorite Beatles song? I love While My Guitar Gently Weeps. I like that. I especially like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame version that Prince plays lead guitar on, tribute to, to George Harrison when he, he was inducted. Um, I, I love Abbey Road just in general as an album, but I also love the White Album, so that's tough. I like so. I mean, so many. I'm going A Day in the Life. Probably oh, yeah. I, I, I love A Day in the Life, reading about the, the writing of that song, how basically Paul told the entire orchestra to just slowly play over 16 beats or whatever it is from their lowest note to their highest note, however they wanted to. And that's where that weird crescendo in the song is. But yeah, uh-huh. it's a good choice. Good choice. Sean Moth is in studio with us, by the way. Just If it's an unfamiliar voice. <laughs> Going through your air, your radio waves as you get in your car here after work. Uh, Sean is in studio because TK is out today, got sick, but he was going to fight through it yesterday to celebrate Scott Satterfield <laughs> leaving day, but he couldn't make it back in today. Uh, so we brought Sean in to play some relief here. Five o'clock hour now on on the way. 502-414-1450 is the Thornton sex line. You know what we're talking about. Uh, I mean, I, Avalanche I hockey. Avalanche <laughs> hockey, pizza bowl recap. Uh, you know, we're doing all that good stuff. But the big story in our world once again remains Scott Satterfield leaving for Cincinnati, the vacant head coaching job. Who will fill it? We're on Jeff Brom watch. There are some other things happening. I mentioned this yesterday. Actually, I was wrong about the days. The volleyball team hosting the regional this this weekend. I said Friday, Saturday. It's actually Thursday, Saturday. I know it's going to be tough for them to – they did such a great job of filling out Freedom Hall last year in the situation, but it's going to be a mid-afternoon – match on on thursday hopefully they can win and get to saturday where they'll play at four o'clock but tickets are now available for all three of those games the two on thursday and the one on saturday also we do have the women's basketball team uh, back in action we probably need to devote some some time when the football stuff calms down to the women's basketball team because it's it's a weird situation right now they're going to play siu edwardsville tonight at seven o'clock at the kfcm center should be a nice bounce back game but the cards for the first time yesterday since 2016 are not ranked in the AP Top 25 poll. Yeah, and I and I saw they did sneak into the coaches' poll. I've watched a couple of the last or more recent games, and they've lost by a margin that's unexpected for Jeff Wall's teams. But to me, what's more curious about it is through the first two quarters and even into the third, and in both cases, it was either a tight game or they had the lead. And in the Middle Tennessee. I, I believe, or was it the Ohio State game? They had a significant lead. Yeah, and then got that smacked by 19. just evaporated. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, it's definitely maybe illustrates, one, the challenges of getting chemistry when you go to the portal. And that's not a knock on Jeff in any way, shape, or form. It's just sometimes a little more difficult than than other times to, to, to get that together. Now, I will say Middle Tennessee historically has a really good program. And Ohio State is now ranked third in the country, and they're undefeated. So there's, you know... Certainly no shame in, in the losses, but it is curious. And it's disappointing to see Peyton Verrill entering the portal during the season. You know, obviously there had to be some major frustration that you don't go ahead and just finish out the season because it really doesn't necessarily behoove you. But I guess you can transfer at semester and get a new start on your clock by being there and uh, whatever the NCA clearinghouse allows you to do in terms of working out with the team or getting to know the offense. But uh, definitely a, a highly touted recruit that uh, played well, but clearly wasn't working out. But yeah, and and to volleyball too. Uh, Danny Busboom Kelly has a chance to play Nebraska again. Uh, that's Oregon, Nebraska at 11 a.m. and then 30 minutes following for the the Louisville Baylor volleyball is shockingly as chalky 
as any sport could get this year. There is one team that shouldn't be where they are, and it's a five seed instead of a four seed right. in the Sweet 16. Every other bracket, one, two, three, four. Yeah, but so, but, but back to women's basketball. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to scratch my head too hard because, first of all, I trust Jeff, and second of all, he's played a tough schedule. He's played some really good teams, and there have been a few injuries here and there that have uh, not allowed him to let people get as comfortable as they want. And I've also known Jeff to know that one in-game – he historically likes to let the team try to figure things out. He's not a big timeout guy, timeout, timeout, you know, 3-0 run, timeout. And I also know that uh, the ACC is probably as good a conference as there is this year. They've got some really, really top-heavy talent in terms of NC State, Notre Dame, and I know there's a lot of people that know a lot more about women's basketball than I do, but it's not going to be an easy year no matter what. And no question about it. Um, But hopefully, I mean, you know, volleyball, it's a – odd scenario where I don't want to say awkward because we've played Nebraska now multiple times in, in recent years but that is where Danny Buspin Kelly played and won a national title I think it is where you know when their current coach ever decides to call it a career it seems logical that she's going to yeah. make the move them she put it in her contract it's the one school that Absolutely. she can leave for without uh, and they are a volleyball powerhouse but we've had their number recently and hopefully that will continue if we do wind up playing them on Saturday because we need I mentioned this before the break talking about football having some sort of injection of, of life. We just need something good to happen, period. And if yep. that happens to be a volleyball national title that can distract us for, for a little bit of time these next couple of weeks, would love nothing more for that than for that to happen because we forget because we've been so successful in team sports basically since the Jurich era. We still have yet to win a team national title outside of men's basketball. Yep. And – you know, will it be baseball? Will it be women's basketball? Now, will it be volleyball? You just would love to get one. And they came so close last year, the perfect season up until the Final Four. You'd love for it to happen, especially it'd be history-making. A women's coach has never won Unreal. the Women's Volleyball National Championship. Unreal. You'd love for our like our leader, DBK, who's become mm. one of the more popular people on Floyd Street, to be the one to get that job done. And she's uh, she built that pro Like McDonald and Walls before her, she's built that program from just kind of relative obscurity into a national powerhouse. Well, and, and, and Leonard Yellen had the program at a high level, and Ann Cordes kind of kept it at that level. But Danny has taken it to this new level. And I, I think what's extraordinary about it is you had last year's success with – the conference setter of the year in Tori Dilfer and a middle blocker, Nana Stevenson, who was an All-American, they both go because of graduation. They're arguably their next best player in Anna DeBeer, a local product. Shout out St. Margaret Mary Mustang. She goes down with an injury, mm-hmm. and they still are are at the level that they are at. And, and again, Ico Jones has been incredible. They went to the portal to get a setter and, and Raquel Lothro, and she's been fantastic. Obviously, Amaya Tillman is Defensive Player of the Year in the conference. has been great. If you love hustle and grit, Elena Scott, the Libro, is one of the most exciting athletes to watch. But to me, the great story is Claire Chausset. She was named ACC Player of the Year. She was, I think just today, was named Region mm-hmm. Player of the Year. She has a chance to be National Player of the Year. She came in as a freshman, and she was touted well enough out of Wisconsin. And it wasn't until the NCAAs and late in that season as a freshman that she really had an impact because Melanie McHenry, the number one player on that team, went down with a knee injury. And Claire came in, and I think it was against San Diego in the NCAAs, had like 19 kills, and people were like, okay. And she continued to put in the work and progress. And she doesn't have 
awe-inspiring, you know, a look to her in terms of just athleticism, but she has just been incredible. And it's just such a great success story in terms of just being patient, biding your time, putting in the work. And I'm telling you, people always ask me when I did the four sports at Louisville, football, men's and women's basketball, volleyball, what my favorite is. I've always said volleyball. I loved it. I'm right there courtside. It's fast-paced. It's exciting. And if there's a way that you have a boss and or a group of coworkers that will allow you to get around working uh, that afternoon, and it probably is going to be early afternoon, more like maybe a 2 o'clock, uh, it is well worth your time to see Sweet 16 Volleyball because – it is high caliber. I mean, the cards are 28-2. Yeah. I mean, the last two regular seasons have been ridiculous, and it kind of looked like there was, you know, hope lost when the cards, I think, went to pit and were down 2-0, stormed back only to lose in five, but then they come back and avenge it with a win over pit and end up winning the league. But they deserve your support. If you if you want to be the person that complains about how men's basketball is going and what's going on with football or women's basketball, you owe it to yourself to – to just look on the bright side and go see volleyball. For sure. Pack the house. Let's get back to a Final Four. Uh, let's talk football now. Let's move on to the, the other minor story here in this uh, in this city. Everybody wants to know updates. Everybody wants to know what you're hearing. Everybody wants to know what's going on. I'll repeat what I said at the beginning of the show. And I have, as the show has gone on, received text messages, this is, you know, working mm. the phones, and it's a whole lot of kind of the same stuff. Like I said yesterday, as definitively as I could, I think Jeff Brom is going to be the next head football coach at Louisville. I, I think when all said and done, it's going to get done quickly. Quickly is a relative term. It, there, there was buzz yesterday, not from me, but that was out there. You could find it pretty easily. That Wednesday was the day that people were circling. Is that still possible? Sure, it's still like things could get done tonight. They could have the press conference tomorrow. It's possible. Do I know that it, that's the timeline? I don't. Um, there is nothing that has happened in the last twenty-four hours that has led me to believe that that's changed. There's nothing that's happened in the last 24 hours that has led me to believe more definitively than I was yesterday that this is you know, just cemented. I think it's going to get done. I think it's going to get done quickly. I think that I know that Jeff is going to be willing to work with the financials. Um, if it winds up being a situation where he's taking less than what Purdue's going to offer him, I think he's fine with that. Um, it now becomes... I don't want to say optics because there are some people who are like, well, Josh has to give the impression of having a national search. No, he doesn't. He, he doesn't. If he thinks Brom's the guy and he can act and get this done quickly, in this situation where you are, with the portal being just open, mm -hmm. with this recruiting class waiting in the wings just a, a handful of days before signing day period, you move as quickly as you possibly can. If you know it's Jeff right now – yeah but you want to give the impression that you've interviewed other people and you've looked elsewhere for the next week and a half, you are doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. You are you are hamstringing the next head coach that you're bringing into this program. If it's Jeff and you can get it done tonight, you get it done tonight. And I, like you said earlier, Josh is a very smart guy. He knows this. We're not saying anything that isn't already at the forefront of his mind. And I think that if Jeff is his guy, and I think he's going to wind up being, I think this will get done quickly. I think you will have your next head coach named at Louisville unless something goes wrong, which is always possible. You never say never in these situations before the end of the week. And I, I would be surprised if it's not before Friday. And maybe part of the the quiet is that there have been no tail IDs of planes because they've been driving back and forth. And I'm hearing that Jeff's 
Honda Accord is in the shop, so they haven't been able to. T- <laughs> so it could be a rental car on I-65. So also, nice Jeff Brom nugget that a lot of people know. Uh, when I got here, fall of 1999, highest draft pick in Louisville history in baseball. That's, yeah, at, at that point. At time. the time. Yeah. A couple guys have, have superseded that. Shout out, uh, by the way, Will Smith, second team, all MLB. Literally okay. named second best catcher in He's America. He's a killer. But, but yeah, Je- Jeff... It all makes sense, and you're absolutely right. Josh isn't going to drag his feet. Josh is going to go through whatever protocols he needs to to be sure that this state job hire is done correctly and appropriately. But everybody knows how coaching works. It's it's different, you know. Uh, when I worked at U of L, I had a yearly contract. There was nothing guaranteed. Sign a new contract every year. That's kind of how it works when you're working in the state. But it's different. It's different when you're making that level of money and when, when there's that level of importance. And, you know, there, there's always going to be some back and forth. And when you're when you're dealing with that level of compensation and that level of responsibility, you know, it's, it's not like you just pull a new contract out of the drawer and just put the name on the top and the date. You know, there, there are some, some T's to cross and some I's to dot. And I think the due diligence will be made. But it, 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 like you said, if it's Jeff... It's going to happen, and it's going to happen soon because it needs to. The, the I am curious about how Jeff would feel because he's being thrown into a situation where you know, NIL has been heavily emphasized here. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I know Purdue does its big day of giving. I know that they're not a school that is lacking in funds, but they had not been recruiting at the time of his departure the way that Louisville has been recruiting. I don't – because somebody was like, well, Jeff have an issue. He's such a straightforward guy, you know, such – Will he have an issue with the NIL stuff? No. Will, Jeff, he, will he have an issue with people helping him get better players? Get better players that he can get. No. I think he's fine with Pierce Clarkson and Ruben <laughs> Owens and DeAndre Moore coming here if he if he wants to. Now, Jeff very much is the type of guy who's not going to be beholden to a kid who's going to come in here with a gigantic Like, if, if it has, has been stated elsewhere, you know, Steve Clarkson is so instrumental in getting this class together, and he is the father of the prize quarterback commit in this class. You know, if Steve Clarkson were to come in here and be like, you need to do this with my son, you need it's not going to fly like, yeah. like but that's that is a later problem and i don't think it would 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 wind up being an issue but certainly jeff is not that type of guy who's going to defer to anybody below him like he's it's his program he's going to run it the way that he wants to but i think that you shouldn't be concerned about any of that stuff i yeah. think that he can make he he clearly has a good rapport with recruits he's had an effective pitch he, he got he got some of the best offensive players in America in this region specifically to the go to West Lafayette, Indiana for the college. City. He 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 stole recruits from us. He I took mean, some of the guys that we wanted more than anybody else. Yeah, Rondell Moore. I mean, Rondell could have gone anywhere. Absolutely. I yeah. I, I don't. I don't think there's a lot else to be said. I think it's just that it's that it's the day. You know, you have the day of giving. It's the day of waiting. Like it's just that's what it's going to boil down to. And I, I I'm trying to think in my head what. What could be the stick that jumps into the spokes that makes this not happen? And unless it's Josh Hurd doesn't want Jeff or there's such a severe personality conflict that Jeff loves West Lafayette to that point that he doesn't want to come here, then I I guess those would be the outliers. But outside of that, it just – and maybe it makes too much sense. I don't know. I don't think that – I mean, outside of like – because the last time it happened, and I had no problem saying this before, like there was like sort of 
you had a couple of family members that didn't want to make the move, and I think that wound up being a big holdback. You had more that did want to make the move. Oh, yeah. But there was – that stuff matters to Jeff. And if maybe if something happened at the last minute, that would, would get in the way. I don't think it's going to. If, if Josh just decided, I don't think his style is going to work here, like that clearly would be a, a non-starter. That clearly would, would disrupt this whole thing. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but – there's going to be some some red tape that needs to be cut. We also have a brand new president who's dealing with this situation for the first time in her uh, very brief career here at yeah. UofL. So, again, Thursday, Friday, seems likely. I, I think that that's the time period that we're circling here. Well, and, and I, I found it laughable that there were people on social media that were, were talking about, well, he turned us down once, you know, screw him. I, we, we don't need him. I, I thought really the reason he didn't come to Louisville was – about as honorable a thing as you could do. Yeah. You know, he'd been at Purdue for what one season, had recruited one of their better recruiting classes in some time with the promise of we're in this for the long haul and felt like he needed to be good to his word. Yeah. And I think that's really from my understanding, that's all it boiled down to for the most part and you you did mention the family members, but to me, you know, how can you resent a guy for just being truthful and honorable and wanting to honor his word? You know, where, where, where is that in sports these days? Maybe we're not used to that. And I think that's why you have people who are like, no, there's no way that that was it. Like, why, why, why did he really say no? And why would he say yes this time? I'm like, it's take it, the man for his word. It goes back to the type of person that uh, type of people, I should say, that the Brahms are. And, and I know that there was a little controversy here before with them. But, I, yeah, I, I've had the same experience. You know, I, <laughs> when you play the quarterback position at a high level, you, you need a, a certain amount of alpha <laughs> to you or it doesn't work. And uh, so I could I could see how that could maybe rub people the wrong way with Brian and Jeff both and Oscar, I guess. But every experience I've ever had with any of them, and, and I probably know Greg better than any of the, any of the four of them, uh, they're just great people, and they are Louisville. They, I mean, you know, at, somebody texted in when I was talking about, you know, questioning you know, why Jeff would stay at Louisville forever and all this stuff. Like, and I mentioned Jeff turned down Alabama twice to be the offensive coordinator to stay at Louisville. Like Nick Saban came calling once. He said, no, Nick Saban came calling back again the next year. And he said, no, again, also like dating back to just their high school careers, Jeff and Brian both could have gone to Notre Dame. Yep. Brian could have gone anywhere. Yeah. Tennessee. Both yeah. chose Louisville. And I remember, I remember, and this is, I'm telling on myself for this, like my freshman year of college was Brian's senior year of, of high school. And we would get drunk and we would call Brian. And I'd be like, at that point in time, I'm like, I'm like, go to Notre Dame. Like, why, like, what? Don't, don't, why would you go to Louisville? Like, go win a national title. Like, it go, like, don't just sell yourself short and all this stuff. And then, you know, secretly hoping that he was going to go to Louisville anyway. Yeah. And he did. And it wound up being uh, the best thing for all parties concerned. But like, putting myself in his shoes at that point in time, despite being the biggest Louisville fan in the world, I was like, I would go to Notre Dame. Are you kidding me? Like, it's, it's Notre Dame for God's sake. And both those guys had that same situation coming out of high school. And both those guys said. I want to play for the school my dad played for, the, the school that I grew up rooting for. If you, again, like if you want to go back to your roots, and I guess people will draw the parallels between this and the Kenny Payne thing. I don't think they're the same because Jeff's been a head coach and has success yeah, as a totally head coach. different backstory. But if you want to to reinvigorate this fan base that has felt more or less detached in a lot of ways, especially that that sort of peripheral group, this is the easiest way to make that happen. And I, it's why I think at the end it's 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 why it is going to happen. Uh, text line 502-414-1450 here. If you have thoughts, uh, let them fly. Text says, Mike, did you ever give your thoughts on Lamar retweeting the Lions score? If that would happen, uh, how long would the emergency pod be? I don't even remember what, what that was. I don't, I don't. We should be talking about your Lions, though, right? 
if they just won that Thanksgiving game. <laughs> if they just won the Thanksgiving game, we'd be right there in the playoffs. They're gonna they're gonna do they're gonna do what they always do, which is make it just interesting enough to, to like keep you like hold out some hope that maybe they can make the playoffs. But then they're gonna be right there in the middle of that pack, cost themselves a better draft pick, and just be perpetually, you know, like, like six and eleven now. That they play to, seventeen games. They'll have to take another tight end at eighteen. And then trade to the Vikings three years later. By the way, I don't think we break news anymore on the radio because social's completely destroyed sure. everybody breaking news. But I'm I'm hearing that Aaron Judge is signing with the Giants. Woo! Does that make your buddy's job a little harder? It does. He thought as of a week and a half ago, I know he he thought and he was like, I don't pros are so weird to me. He's like, I don't talk to these guys. Like when they when they go off and do their own thing, he's like, I think he's going to stay. But he was like, I don't he said he definitely knew he wasn't gonna go to the Red Sox. Um, which was, their, I guess, their big concern with New York. Somehow that they knew that they didn't know anything else, but they knew he wasn't going to go to the Red Sox. But yeah, he, um, the Dodgers were the was the, the one team that he was worried about at that time. I did not, the Giants did not come up, but that is that went is to, interesting. Went to Fresno State. Big Louisville baseball fan too. Went to a Louisville baseball game last year. Aaron Judge did. <laughs> he did. We uh, we opened down at uh, USF at a tournament, and unbeknownst to me. He just needed baseball because I think at the time Major League Baseball was kind of still debating on how things were going to go with collective bargaining, et cetera, as memory serves. And lo and behold, here's a picture of, uh, I can't remember, Cam Robinson, a couple of our pitchers with Aaron Judge. And I'm like, Where, where's that photo from? They're like, oh, he's at the game today. That's very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. But uh, less awesome. He also just, he does not strike me as a giant. Like the Giants have... They've they've thrived the last fifteen years or so with like scrappy, yeah. you know, kind of like just you know, guys who you know you don't expect to be JT superstar. Snow. <laughs> yeah, those types of yeah. guys being their best players. And here's Judge, who's very much an all or nothing superstar. Uh, that's very interesting. But well, and ultimately, as a baseball fan, you got to sign pitchers. You do. Like it's great to have a guy like Judge, but you're not going to win unless you have the pitching, which the Giants know better than anybody else because of the people they've had. The name Brom is trending, by the way, on Twitter. Oh, it is. Yeah, I don't know how. Texas, don't read out loud. I already started. If you've secretly gotten word that Brom is a lock, say rubber baby bungee bumper. <laughs> you got to make it easier than that. If you you got to say like cauliflower. If you close the show by saying it, we drink tonight. Well, I just said it. I, uh, sorry. Wow. <laughs> Didn't mean that. Texas, I don't think we talk, we're talking enough about how the basketball team went down the drain as soon as Sean decided to stop announcing. We did. We literally talked about it at the beginning of the show. You get Sean gets blamed for all this stuff, and deservedly so. Yeah, I'll wear Texas, the guy who first reported the judge thing, uh, John Heyman, is now saying that he jumped the gun. Mm. Mm. Well, I am. I am seeing that now. Oh, real? Because like the uh, like other official accounts are are doing the same thing. Yeah. Like t- yeah. Are, is he pulling a Billy Donovan? Yeah, John Heyman. Giants say they have not heard on Aaron Judge. My apologies for jumping the gun. Ooh, Heyman. Unle- oh, that's uh, a bad look. Un- unless the source. Well, that's not the source that I saw reporting it. Maybe the source talked to Judge, not yeah, the Yeah, I see Giants. Benjamin Dover. Oh, ben- Benjamin oh, that, Dover. Th- there's no way that's a real name. <laughs> the, the fake that's, blue check. That's Bart me. Simpson. The yeah. sad thing is I was about to say right before that, that like you have to like triple check stuff now oh, because no the blue question. checks. Like, oh, I'm like, yeah. Benjamin Dover, Ben Dover Insider yeah. is, mm-hmm. what, is what his Twitter handle is. Uh, that's, that's good. Oh, you know, I know the solution to Brom and Judge. I, I don't know why we didn't think of this. We've got to go to Swim Swam. Swim, uh, swim Slam. How do, how do we skip that? Let's see what we've got there. Swim Slam. Swim Slam. Notably oh. mum on the conference realignment circle in, in, in recent years. Oh, uh, yeah. New, uh, I can't believe Ben Dover got me. Thomas, I, can't, I can't believe he just That was That was good. Well, when, oh, you, right after I was thinking about it, too. Yeah. 
Tomas Kusinkas steps down as a treasurer of uh, LEN. Via so, Swim Swam? There's Swim Swam. Mm. So, which the, we don't want to leave Arthur Albiero and his incredible team and children, but the U.S. Olympic trial qualifications have been happening, and there's been a lot of great news. Louisville, you can go to UofL, uh, what does it, go cards? There's a lot of good stuff to read about Gabby Albiero and uh, and uh, her brother Nick, and I think uh, I'm blanking out Adam. I'm blanking out on his name, but I think at least at least four Cardinals qualifying for Olympic trials. When he got here, I think there was one, and he had like a five-year plan where he wanted 20, and it was over 30, and it's it's exploded since. But, uh, yeah, Swim Swam not commenting on Braum that I see Come on. or Judge. And maybe it's a package deal. Maybe Aaron Judge is going to sign with the Louisville Bats. Could be. Bats can be loaded in recent years. The Reds have loaded up on prospects. I honestly thought that if we did have an opening, that that might help us land Deion Sanders because he knows Louisville. He does. Played the first game ever at the Slugger Field, didn't he? That was he scored the first run. There we go. At Slugger Field. Um, didn't that, have a better batting average than you, but no, no, he never will. That was the the big talk was because Dion has tweeted multiple times about loving the city, and so that was a lot of people thought that this would be a no brainer, and it may have been. I, mean, I know there are some people with big money and, and big ties in the city that that thought, hey, if we'd had this opening a week and a half ago, we'd have Deion Sanders here right now, which does kind of suck. But I think we can still wind up being the big winner in all this. If he can win in Boulder right now, then he will. his next job will will be gigantic. It's still, yeah, for sure. I mean, because it's still, even with all the hype, and I do, I think he's doing things a way that nobody's ever done them before, and it's certainly interesting. It's still a, a big gamble because – Look, he called a shot in the SWAC and dominated that conference for th- for two years. You know, the two of the three that he was there. Is that an indication that he's going to be able to do the same thing in the Pac-12? Not really, but we'll find out. I mean, but if he if he goes two for two, then I think if you're an SEC program or a Big Ten program that's kind of maybe that second tier that wants to jump up there and be the next Ohio State or Michigan, then he's absolutely like at the top of your want list. Like, I don't think the state of Colorado has had a sports personality that even approaches who he is because even like you know you're Alex English of the Nuggets and Terrell Davis of the Broncos obviously John they've been high caliber but just not dynamic personality it's it's intriguing it's a, it's a really unique fit and it is a bad football team that is again you talk about no guarantees in hiring guys they've they have had a rough line of head yeah. coaching hires it's because that was the other thing we talked about the weird cultural fit between Satterfield and Cincinnati the Deion Sanders Boulder thing is also I mean Boulder does not strike me as a prime city. Like, like it's it's interesting, but like, and I'm sure they'll fall in love with him if he wins. But like that, it it, it does feel like a weird fit. I, I'm very curious to see how that goes. But especially when I, Georgia Tech was opening, I, I thought that yeah, seemed everybody like, did. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he could. Yeah, that's he's got a home in Atlanta. Uh, you know who else has a home in Louisville? The <laughs> Uh Rubber B. <laughs> Texas says, I was listening to a Barstool podcast with one of the hosts being Hunter Dickinson. He was talking about the Kentucky. Is this a KRC text? Mm. KRC text. Yeah, well, we don't have time for a lengthy KRC text today. We usually read them. We usually react to them, but not today. By the way, Arson Judge is trending because I think somebody tweeted out his signing and autocorrected from Aaron to Arson. Oh, I love it. <laughs> what, what a world. Uh, we got Bendover. We got Arson. We got it. We, everything's happening right now. Texas basketball ticket revenue for 2023 was expected to be 10.5 mil, which is down from 16 mil in 2017-18. That projection was before the season started. It's likely to fall within the single digits given the current trends. At some point, Kenny is going to become an economic problem that will be impossible to ignore. 
Fighting headwinds for sure, but the economic power of the program will quickly be compromised by the attendance we are seeing. It's, I mean, I know we're mostly focused on football here, but it's certainly worth pointing out. And it's, I mean, Eric Crawford had the money quote from Daryl Griffith when he said he told me at the introductory press conference for Kenny Payne, like the days of 6,000 home people, home crowd are done. And folks, they're not because the attendance was, I think, surprisingly high for like the red-white scrimmage. It was great for the exhibition game. And then we've seen, it doesn't matter if it's Kenny Payne or Denny Crum coming back or Rick Pitino coming back or whoever your favorite UofL figure is. If you're not winning, people aren't showing up in this day and age. It's, it, it is different than it was 15, 20 years ago where the team could be bad, the opponent could be bad. You were getting 19,000 plus at Freedom Hall. Those days are gone. And fans, it doesn't help that people have gotten a little bit tired of all the stuff. I love that you just say stuff. Everybody knows what you're talking about for the last six, seven years. And that stuff includes not winning enough. People are just, you know, they're not as in love with the program or they haven't been brought back in with the program the way that we thought that they were going to be when Chris Mack got here and, you know, the pandemic then throws a wrench in those plans. If Kenny Payne were 8-0 right now, yeah, you'd you'd be back to having 20,000 people probably for most games or close to it or at least announced 20,000 people. But right now, unless something dramatic changes, the downward trend of attendance at the KFCM Center is going to continue even with a wildly popular choice who is one of your own coming back to coach the program, and it's going to have a financial impact on the program. And there are very few levels of sports or types of sports that aren't succumbing to this same effect of attendance dropping. Sure. You know, since I first got into working in athletics in, in the early 90s while I was in college, the adage was the best marketing tool is a winning team. And the, the, the truth to that still is reinforced, but it's different than it used to be. Because you talk about if you're not a good team, drawing is difficult. Even if you are a good team or you are a good program, drawing isn't, man, it's not a guarantee. I mean, there have been some pretty good matchups. There have been some pretty good football games at the newly expanded football stadium, but it's it's never been packed at its current status. And I, it, it's just... It's a different era, and we've talked about this when I've been on before. People are probably tired of hearing it, but with flat-screen TVs, and ultimately it goes back to me as much as anything else to just the intrinsic cost. You know, if you – the people that make these decisions, and and please let me preempt this by saying I'm not talking about Josh Hurd because Josh Hurd does understand this, but most people don't in the positions that make these decisions. But those people typically don't on any given night just decide to grab their family, their three kids, get in the car, drive downtown, pay for parking somewhere, walk to the KFC Yum Center, buy tickets at the door, buy concessions, sit in the upper deck, watch the game, et cetera, et cetera. Have that game experience that that Joe Public's gonna have. They don't, they don't do that. There, there's no perspective on what that is like for the fan. And I don't know what the cheapest ticket at the door is for a basketball game, but just across the board, coast to coast, you know, you don't want it to be the back when I was a kid lessons, but when I started going to football games as a kid, we we bought 50 cent tickets to just get admission as a kid. And those days are, I don't, if you had an eight-year-old son and you and your son wanted to go to a football game, and this isn't an indictment of Louisville either, this is anywhere, a college football game, power five school, 
I'd be curious to know what the cheapest ticket for the two of you would be. Because any more, it's $35 each. It's a lot of time, and it's a lot of, it's a lot of money, and it's, and it's a lot of time. It, it's your entire weeknight. If you're going to a game at 7 o'clock, you're getting off work, you're probably going straight there, or you're going home, changing clothes quickly, and then going straight there. And by the time you get out, at least back in the day when you had more people going to games and the traffic was worse, you, you weren't getting home till you know, 9.45, 10. That, that's your entire night. And when I worked in athletics, one of our challenges that we recognized even then is, okay, we need to combat this by creating an experience that is unique. We need people to go to the game because being at the game is better and or different than watching it at home with cheaper beer, no lines at the restrooms, no parking, no time involvement. You can change the channel. You're listening to somebody commentate on the game. You can, you know, you can do all these things that are so much easier, especially with a, a society that spends some time locked up and at home and found out that things kind of work out okay at times. But you have to make that experience different. And I think one of the few sports that's been able to do that is minor league baseball because you can you can just build bars down the outfield and you can get people to come to the games and they're not going to watch the game or cheer for the team but they're going to go there because it's a social outing and it's fun and it's unique and, and there are certainly fans that go to games because they love the teams and they want to see it but this is a battle that that we began fighting when I was working with the marketing department at UofL and it's it's only getting worse I mean there's a reason that there's a Twitter account called Empty Seats Galore. And some mm. of the photos on that account, there was one that was tweeted out. I think it was a Rice home football game. I mean, it was it, it looked like your proverbial high school 3A state championship at a Division I college football stadium. And it was it was a Division I game. It's a different world. My alma mater built a new stadium on campus. It's gorgeous, 41,000 seats. They opened the stadium against Oregon State, which if you're a Colorado State, if you got a Pac-12 team coming to your place, unprecedented. They brought Arkansas in. They played a home-and-home home with Arkansas. They have had great opponents. They've got the rivalry with Wyoming. they get got the rivalry with Air Force. It opened, I think, five years ago. Still haven't sold it out once. Jeez. Once. And this is a program that at Hughes Stadium capacity was a little over 30. When Sonny Lubick was winning games, it was packed. Yeah. Haven't even been close. Different times. Things change, and a lot of times they just don't go back. Uh, we have to go take our last break here. Before we do, reminding you about our guys over at AirServe. If you have heating problems this winter, can't make it through the night because it's going to be too cold. Maybe you have small children. Maybe you have pets that need that heat back on. AirServe has technicians available 24-7. doesn't matter what time of the day that you call. If it's 3 p.m., 3 a.m., midnight, noon, AirServe is going to be there to take your call, and a technician will be available to come out to your house and fix your problem. Call them at 502-264-9662. Whether it's too hot, too dry, too cold, or too polluted, AirServe, make sure that you're comfortable and breathing the highest quality air in your home. 502-264-9662. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll wrap the show. Keep it locked right here on 1450.
song about Jeff Brom and Purdue? Saying goodbye? Are we saying hello? Who knows? Maybe we'll find out this week. Uh, welcome to final statement here. we got about uh, 10, 11 minutes here of the th- Tuesday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show. Continuing to keep our focus on this uh, Louisville football coaching search, which how much of a search is it really? We'll find out shortly, I think. Uh, but we've got a time here for a handful of texts here on the Thornton text line, 502-414-1450. Once again, we have like a billion unread texts. I apologize. I will try to get to as many as we can here. Sean Moth, kind enough to join us in the studio with Trevor Kelsey being out. Texter says, what happens first? Louisville wins a basketball game or they get Jeff Brom? I think Jeff Brom. I think that's the same thing. Uh, I sure hope so. I mean, yeah. I mean, you'd you be... If, even if it's not Jeff Brom, I think you probably hope that it's the football coach at this point Fact. over the basketball team because they would, uh, I, I guess technically, I mean, it wouldn't be a, a ridiculous wait if you were waiting till like next early next week for the football coach to be named. And then you could beat Florida State, which seems like a, dare I say, winnable game on Saturday. Win- winnable, more winnable, closer to being winnable, less losable. I don't know. What else does the text line have? <laughs> <laughs> We laugh because we have to. Oh. Um, hmm. I went on yesterday after the show, by the way, which the first show that we've had since, I mean, since exhibition play, where we focused solely on football for three hours, and I had already agreed to do the Titus and Tate show, where they oh, their running no. joke is every time something terrible happens with Louisville basketball, they have to have me on. Um, so like the Weekly? entire yes, yeah, so <laughs> every episode I've listened to this season, I'm like we gotta get Mike on because they they're making fun of Louisville, <sighs> and so I had to sit there and do 45 minutes of just woe is me Louisville basketball talk and try to, to joke my way through it. But check that out there. If you want to, if you, if you want to hear that podcast, I got them back. I forgot since they made the move to, to Fox and they're like, you know, they're big wigs. Now they're trying to cut down on the cussing. So like I'm dropping F bombs right out of the gate. I'm like, usually I try to like tone it down and talk like I do on the radio where I'm like, Oh, you know, this crap gets me. And like, I'm like, if you're going to have me on for this, then yeah, I'm, I'm coming out guns a blazing. I'm not even keeping it to a, to a minimum. Uh, Texter says, Louisville Twitter is hilarious, by the way. Bring Brom home guy goes from a heel to a baby face in a matter of 30 hours. I love it so much. He, I mean, he was in the least cool person tournament this past year. People hated the, Brom, the Bring Brom home account because oh, he's I, spanning everybody. I, I muted him right away. He's uh, He's been muted forever. Yeah. But now. Or her, I guess. Or her. But now people are like, this guy's going to have his victory lap. He's going to be. T- we have to. And I mean, even I was like, we have to have him on the radio show. He clearly listens to the show based on the way that he interacts with people. And we can unmask him there. You you know it's going to happen at the press conference, and it'll be Jeff going, it was me. It was me all along. Or it was, what if Satterfield was like, it was actually me this whole time? Oh, no. This whole time. I love Skyline Chili. Somebody on staff, D.R.L. Sims, is like, I've been behind this for two years. Maybe it was Bobby Petrino's director of ops. Could, oh, wouldn't be surprised. Old Andy. Uh, still, I'd still be blocked, though, if that was the case. Oh. Uh, 502-414-1450 Thornton sex line Texas says Mike uh, Texas says we're going to we're going to try to get as many texts as possible also Mike reads one text and it goes on a tangent for five minutes that's yeah. not true I'm not, I'm not talking anymore that's let's, not true That would, it, it's been three minutes let, let's roll through Texas says is he bring Brom home guy going to be the CC person of the year now no I can't imagine wouldn't Brom be a more likely candidate it's a good I'm not going on a tangent here I'm answering the question because we do do a, we, a card chronicle person of oh, the year yeah. at the end of every year, and they're getting more and disappointed more disappointed. I've never been mentioned. You've, I don't know if you've been mentioned. I don't know. You've not been nominated. I don't think, <laughs> but you've probably been mentioned before. Maybe this year will be you'll get a nod. You get the opposite award. But like typically, I have, I have a good idea of who it's going to be. But this year, not. I mean, there's not like a real clear cut candidate. Like last year, we gave Danny Buspum Kelly one. She was mm. a, a deserved winner, but. 
women's basketball kind of down at the moment. They did go to a Final Four. It's the full year. It's not just the you know, the season that we're in. Scott Satterfield's definitely not getting it. Nobody from the football team is, is getting it. It's Deion Branch, 1-0. If he wins the game. I'm telling you. A late, late bump. I, I don't know. Buston Kelly might run it back. Oh, she, she wins a national shot. title. I like, hope it happens. Like Josh Hurd's not going to get it right now. He's still too fresh, and people are upset about the basketball thing, <laughs> the stuff, uh, the troubles. Um, like I don't. There's no. There's no clear cut candidate uh, right now. So like, if, if women's basketball was rolling, I think Jeff would be an obvious choice going to a Final Four. But it'll be interesting. Uh, we'll have to find it out. Texas says the U of <laughs> Texas says the CC person of the year should go to Cincinnati's AD. Ooh. <laughs> Okay. I like it. Uh, Texas <laughs> says, Flyville and UofL are now both gone from Pierce Clarkson's bio. If you don't text him, rubber baby bungee jump right now, heckling now, Mike. Um, it, he, he took that away, but he still has at Louisville football in his, his Twitter account. So we'll see, who knows? Texas, I'm not usually the guy to complain about prices, but if I can buy 30 beers at home cheaper than three beers at the KFC Yum Center, yes. Texas says, Sean's voice should be familiar to every person in the city. I think it is. Uh, that was that was a reaction to me saying that voice that you have coming through your car at five o'clock. Uh, yeah, Texas Sean is a legend. He is. <laughs> Texas Kenny Klein, CC Person of the Year. No, he's the opposite. Mm. He's he's screwing us all. His selfishness to walk away from this program before he dies is killing the program. My son and I went to a football game. Went to the James Madison game and tailgated. Ran into Kenny, and I I, I said to him, I was like, I I don't know how to fan. I, I can count on one hand how many times I've been tailgating in my life. But he, he, he was doing a fine job. Texas, um, if Brom, what if Brom says the only way I come back is if Sean comes back too? You'd have to take one for the team. You'd have to come back. <laughs> They'd have to want me. <laughs> Texas says Deion Sanders never ha- never will. Oh, it's, Bo- it's Boise guy. Um, mm. Deion Sanders was never and never will coach football at Louisville. He would rather coach at a winner, Boise State. It's like culture clash. Deion Sanders at Boise State is, is far more weird than Deion Sanders at Colorado. Texas, if I go to B, uh, Middletown BW's uh, threes tonight and see Greg Brom, I'll consider the deal signed, sealed, and delivered. Well, that wouldn't be abnormal. I was that, say. That, you might see Greg there even if he has no idea what's going on. Like, that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You can run into a Brahm in this city regardless, and it may just be a standard Tuesday, and they're in town. Texas says, uh, did you see the flea, fake flea flicker in the Big Ten Championship mm. game? Talk about boner jams. Yeah, they pulled out all the stops in that game, and they had to because they weren't going to be Michigan. That's a good football team. Holy cow. They're very good. <laughs> I also can still see them losing by like 20 to Georgia. I, I, I go back to their opening game, too, when they had uh, both quarterbacks, what was it, McNamara and McCarthy, each play a half. And I'm going, what are you doing, coach? Yeah. And I watched the first half, and I was like, this, this kid's sharp. Watch the second half. I'm like, this kid is He's electric. He's unreal. And mm. Now McNamara is going to Iowa. Iowa. Which props. Is that like somebody that sells suntan lotion going to Iceland? It, yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Um, Texas, is D-Rail Sims officially gone? He's not. If you missed it earlier, the, the quick staff update that we have right now, we do know a couple of, of things that are happening. We know beyond the shove that Brian Brown's going to Cincinnati to be the defensive coordinator with Scott Satterfield. He's not going to coach in the bowl game. We've heard in a – I'll go ahead and say it. Like, this is – it's happening. Pete Thomas, the quarterback's coach, is also going to go to Cincinnati, and he's not going to be coaching in the bowl game. Ben Souders, the strength coach, is going to Arkansas. He's been there for over a week now. Um, Wes McGriff, the crime dog, the secondary coach, the co-defensive coordinator – um, is going to Auburn. He'll 
have the same job. He'll be the secondary coach, not the, the co-defensive coordinator for Hugh Freeze there. Uh, and then Lance Taylor, the last update we have there, the co-offensive coordinator is a front runner for the head coaching job at Western Michigan. So if he doesn't get that, I don't think that Lance comes back. I think Lance is going to take another job somewhere else. There'll be more of these updates to come as the week goes along, but this is what we have so far. But no no word on DRL Sims, although he would be a safe bet, I think, also to make the move to, to, to uh, Cincinnati. Texas watching what Brom did with Rondell Moore and Charlie Jones. I would love to see what he could do with DeAndre Moore. I'd love to see what he could do with multiple weapons because mm. Charlie Moore, or Charlie Jones, everybody knows he's getting the ball on mm-hmm. almost every passing play, and people still can't stop it. He's he's unreal. I would love to see that Jeff Brom offense with, I don't know, two or three really good wide receivers. Texas says, how are we going to fill, fill this void now that we can't have Scott's D? Well, we mentioned this yesterday. You, you, the D was great for a little bit. Now it's now it's over. Texas' David Lackford, Dave Lackford said, just said on air, he would bet on the Cali kids not making it here. I know he said yesterday he thinks the recruiting class is going to fall apart. It's certainly possible. We'll have to find out. I my What I heard yesterday was that Steve Clarkson was – very good with Jeff Brom coming in here. Was he maybe just telling that to a booster to appease him in a conversation? That's possible. Who knows how this whole thing works, but he had given his, his sign off. He'd given his vote of confidence to Jeff Brom. And I think that was part of the reason why things were going to start moving quickly, but could it just have been lip service? Sure. Who knows? We're living in a brave new world. You never know. UCLA might swoop in and have the same type of offer that, that UofL was able to make. Texas says the uh, the NCAA allows for second official visits for a new coach. Brom needs to have visits by twelve seventeen. Yeah, I think that that if it is Jeff, it'll be far before the the, the Fenway Bowl happens. Um, Texas sat telling Cincinnati our entire offense would take three paragraphs. Don't worry about that too much. Well, yeah, I mean you you can see film. Texas says new classic Sean track wall Brom. <laughs> what do you think of that? What else does Texas line have to say? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll work it in. Highest draft pick in baseball history before I got here. That's, that's right. Um, no, I'm not going to read that. Texas Twitter is a buzz. It seems like something is close. Twitter, I mean, Twitter's always a buzz. It's. I, I don't think that they're wrong with something being close, but I, I don't think it's going to be. I, I I think the the buzz that it was going to be Wednesday now is probably not true. And I, I maybe I, again, you have to preface all these comments with maybe I'm wrong. And something could get done tonight, and we'll find out tomorrow. But if you're asking me right now, I don't think that that's going to happen. I think we're looking more maybe Circle Friday. All I'll say is look how quickly Cincinnati acted. They did. It it happened very quickly. Um, So anything's possible. Thank goodness. (laughs) Have you all touched on Pete Thomas leaving and the possible impact on the Cali kids? We have. It's certainly not good. I don't think it's a total deal breaker. I don't think they came here just for Pete Thomas, but he clearly was the guy who was the main guy in charge. Yeah, bright young kid. Texas says, uh, Jeff, give Mama Brown what she wants for Christmas. Bring the family back together. Well, the family's not apart. They're, they're, they're not estranged because a couple of them are working in West Lafayette. Um, the, the, the Brahms are still very much a close family. Um, okay, I can't, I can't read that. Uh, apologies to all the texts that we didn't get to, Sean. As always, man, thanks for coming in on short notice, especially today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You do great work. It's always fun to be with you. We love you here. Uh, Big thanks to everybody for tuning in. Tomorrow, will we have news? Will there be a, a hire? If not, Maybe we have to talk about basketball a little bit. Here's hoping there's something definitive on the football front so we can spend three hours talking about that. Regardless, have a fantastic Tuesday night. We'll see you guys tomorrow at 3. Joey Demley and the Cardinal Insider are up next.